comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblechild.com slash outnowpodcast. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player. Troy, Mac Parker. Ever hear of Planet of the Apes? Uh, the movie or the planet? The brand new multi-million dollar musical. And you are starring as the human. It's the part I was born to play, baby. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is not here. He's working late. But Out Now is a film podcast. Abe and I are normally discussing new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it be one of our fun commentaries or something completely different. And this is, in fact, one of our fun commentary episodes. Uh, we know you listeners love the commentaries, and here is going to be another info and ento- entertainment-packed commentary episode, or edutainment, as we like to call it. <laughs> um, is It is in honor of the new release, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is hitting theaters about a week or a week and a half from now, um, where you're going to talk about the 1968 original Planet of the Apes, starring Charlton Heston. And joining me to discuss this classic sci-fi film, we have Chimpan Jay, Jim Dietz. A planet where podcasters evolved from men? <laughs> and Chimpan B, Brandon Peters. Monkey see, monkey do. There you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, how are you guys doing? Terrific. This is I exciting. Love I see from Chimpan A to Chimpan Z. There you go. Uh, Dr. Zayas, um, let's, uh, let's just jump right into this here. So, yeah, this is, um, for anyone that's familiar, you already know what's going on, but for those that are new, this is one of our commentary episodes, meaning that we're, that Jim, Brandon and I are going to have the movie playing in the background muted so you guys can't hear it for various reasons because that would make for an entertaining episode and we're going to talk over it. Um, were you to want to play the movie yourself while listening to us talk about it, that's awesome. We're going to count it in so you can sync it up with where we are. If you're not, you're just listening. Good for you. Glad you want to hear about Planet of the Apes. Uh, but with that said, Brandon, Jim, and I currently have the film at 20 seconds in, which is like after the Fox logo and like the the first image of the film is just faded in, which is just about a, like a couple stars and like Chuck Heston's just started to narrate the film, like the opening. So with all that said, adjust your your movie accordingly to reach where we are, and I'm gonna count it down from three, and on the sound of go, we're all gonna press play and just talk about the movie, Planet of the Apes. So you guys ready? Yes. Of course. Okay, then three, two, one, go. All right, so Planet of the Apes is happening. It's, um, so mainly when Burton came uh, Charlton, into... Charlton Heston or uh, Captain Kirk. While he's in space, we should talk about this. Ah, um... Because they're both manly, you know, uh, no-shirted... Chant, uh, um, Charles and Heston or, or uh, William Shatner. Kirk or Taylor. I go Kirk. 
I mean, I'm not a Star Trek guy, so I just say Chuck Heston by default. Although, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know Kirk well enough, but is he just like a, a like a really mean dick to everybody else, like for no reason? Because Taylor certainly I mean, is. <laughs> they're, he's kind of got that Yeah, they both have that kind of ex- exemplars of that, you know, that last flicker of American male dominance over his environment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, they both kind of embody that kind of, you know. Penis led haughtiness, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Shirtless, bare chested manliness. That, well, well, you know, yeah, that was more indicative in earlier, uh, you know, American films, but kind of was going away by the time they came to the stage. Well, we'll certainly get, we'll certainly get to how that's taken away from them in the second act of this movie, but for the time being. Right. Um, yeah, no, Taylor, uh, Chuck, H- something I like about T- Harold Heston, which I just kind of pieced together as I was rewatching this film the other day. Um, he and Tom Cruise seem like have they have a lot in common. Um, they're both they're, they're both they're big sci-fi them? nuts for one thing. Like they like between Chuck Hesney who's doing like Omega Man and this movie and Swaling Green. Like he loves doing sci-fi movies. It seems just like Tom Cruise seems to. And they just have very opinionated views on things. Chuck Heston with his NRA leadership and Tom Cruise with you know Scientology. Like they, I, let alone you know the box office kind of clout they had in their you know heydays and whatnot. They seem like they have very similar things in common to each other. Almost make me wonder why Tom Cruise wasn't in the Planet of the Apes reboot. Or why Tom Cruise wasn't in um, the uh, I Am Legend. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Omega Boy, this, they have nice office furniture on their spaceship, don't they? They do. I um, like that they have a black guy and a girl, and there's like, which one do we kill off first, guys? Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I think the real question we wanted was, is Heston or Wahlberg? That's the... Oh, well, it's got to be Heston. I think I found an ape. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think I found an ape! Hey, see, how do you mother ape for me? I um I know Brandon. I don't know if you have you watched it yet. The uh, yes, Tim Burton. Yes. So if you've watched it in because you're, you're fresh off of it. Okay. So to be to be clear for the listener, Brandon's been doing a, a retrospective uh, writing series for his site, the Naptown Nerd, on Planet, the Planet of the Apes franchise. And so he's been kind of going over each movie. So you, yeah, you just watched the Tim Burton reboot again. I did. I I didn't own it. I went and bought it for eight dollars. It came with a free ticket or ticket or for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes or eight dollars cash, which would be enough to pay for my ticket here in Indiana. Um, so it was kind of a win-win, and now I have the complete collection of Planet of the Apes movies. Mm. I just to interrupt real quick. I like that this movie has like a three-minute prologue of Charles Neston narrating his thoughts on space before we actually get the title sequence. And I love that early 70s futuristic font, too. Oh, for sure. Yes. Actually, I do. I mean, there are lots of things about this movie that I really, I mean, I'm, I'm sure all of us really love, which is why we're doing this commentary. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of just production aspects and things that evoke the time from that it's from oh, yeah. that really work and continue to work. Since we're at the beginning and in the credits, how, how did each of, how did everybody come into this franchise to see the first one? I think it's a, since it's such an old um, franchise that kind of went away for a good chunk of time from like 19, you know, from theatrically from like 1973 to 2001 or, you know, from the TV series, which did make like reruns in like the 80s. But how did everybody come into discovering it? Jim? Jim? My dad was a big Charlton Heston fan. This is one of his favorite movies by him. Uh, I grew up watching this, Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur, El Cid, Omega Man. 
Silent Green. Silent Green's a great movie. Anytime, Actually, yeah, yeah, I love Silent. Edward G. Robinson is really, really good yeah. in that. Um, when we do our so Silent I, Green I, commentary, I have plenty of stories about that one. But go on, go on. Sweet. <laughs> um, but I grew up. I mean, every time this movie would be on TV, on you know, Creature Feature, on Saturday nights, or you know, whenever they would show it, my dad would, uh, my dad would have it on. We would watch it. Uh, so I associate this whole series with my father. And later on, when I was a, a little kid in the seventies, you know, they had the TV series, they had the Mego toys. Um, it was like uh, before star Wars, this was like the big sci-fi franchise. Oh yeah. Yeah. So oh, yeah. being a little kid in the, you know, in the, in the early seventies before star Wars came out, I think I was like nine or 10 when star Wars came out. But before that, I mean, this was the premier sci-fi franchise and, you know, we had the toys, had the comics, board um, games. TV series, the cartoon, the board game, yeah. So yeah, this um, and uh, as Brandon said, this is this and Bond were the the, the franchise oh, yeah, of absolutely. their day. Yeah, yeah, so this, this Bond and like Hammer Horror. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, they, yeah. I can go into my relationship with this franchise real quick, though. I want to point out Frank, uh, the director Franklin J. Schaffner. I I always forget who directed Planet of the Apes, and then I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, because he did he did Patton and that Papillion and the Boys from Brazil. Like there is like he this is an Academy Award winning director. I forget that that's like part of this movie. That's, yeah, it, I think it shows just in terms of how he handles this movie. Um, but uh, for as far as my introduction to the series goes, I I mean obviously, obviously I'm I'm a bit younger than Jim. I, I wasn't you know seeing these movies when I was you know when they're you know more of a presence and i came into them at home um i can't say that i i'm trying to think like when the first time i saw planet of the apes was it, it was i think like late 90s because it was before i saw the it was before i saw the tim burton movie which okay oh, thank god for that uh, yeah but at the same time <laughs> i still always knew the ending of this movie which i can't say is upsetting even though it is one of the greatest you know twists of in history <laughs> of a film um but I, I, I can't say that I'm upset about that fact. I, I do think it just—it still works. Um, I, I'm sure there's an impact that you just lose that you'd have, you know, when you're like seeing this movie for like the first time back in, way back in the day. But at the same time, th- this movie's been spoofed so much by its ending with Spaceballs and The Simpsons, and yeah, it's a cultural phenomenon. It is, and it has—it has that for a reason because it is a classic. And but w- with all that said, yeah, I can't. I this first movie, I. I, you know, I really like, and I was happy to see it kind of, yeah, like, I think like late 90s was maybe early, maybe a bit earlier, but for sure, like seeing it as a whole and remembering it, I know it from like the early 90s or mid 90s. And then the rest of the movies I saw over time as well. I think I saw, I saw the other sequels after I saw the, the uh, Burton movie, but before Rise came out, certainly. Um, so yeah, that's a, and I do, I do, I like this franchise as a whole. I am a fan of it. Something I always yeah. wondered about if it's if it's airtight for space, why isn't it watertight as well? The atmosphere <laughs> clearly broke up the ship. It was yeah. a hard it was a hard oh, it was okay. a hard landing. Okay. Um, that's I always <laughs> wondered about that. We'll get to, and Brandon, I'm sure you'll point out that this is a G rated movie. This is a G rated movie. Four of the five movies in the series are rated G. But the and uh, there's no some, way they'd get that nowadays. And there's some scary stuff in here. Like the image of that woman like dead and like <laughs> mummified is like creepy <laughs> yeah well it was funny uh you know i was i forgot about that my my son my two and a half year old son's been watching these with me and he, he loves them mm-hmm. apparently like he uh once it was talked about watching planet of the apes and when that uh, they showed that woman he <laughs> i was like oh man but he goes is that an ape i was like yep, yep <laughs> that's an ape that's an ape no it's yeah and this well, photography I was like, oh man 
This photography, the photography in this movie, I think, is underrated. I don't think it's one thing that I never, I, I see plenty of praise for this movie, but I never see, you know, some of the shots and stuff that are, like, iconic and great looking ever get, It fits you know, well lauded. with how they, how they set up the kind of, the atmosphere of this film, which is, it's a mix of, yeah, this kind of photography that, for, you know, for a 60s film, or, you know, late 60s film that you're not knowing the, the entire truth if you're not knowing it's earth necessarily and you're just assuming you're on some planet of apes like it does a good job of making the app making the landscapes feel alien um obviously it's shot on earth but the um the kind of the, the way it's presenting it to you it, it it combined of kind of jerry goldsmith's amazing score um it really gives the sense that you're watching these astronauts on on a, on a different planet moving around and really buries the lead even when showing you the actual apes <laughs> since you don't see them for yeah. another you know 15 minutes or so from now mm-hmm. and i think i want to point out with you talking about the ending aaron mm-hmm. it didn't help that the vhs and dvd covers like had it on the cover <laughs> yeah right <laughs> like you know i get that the movie you know well everybody's seen it well you know kids grow up and they haven't seen it that's, that's the thing there's a generation that follows that isn't up to speed, but I mean, it's the same as having uh, "soil and green as people" be such a big pop culture phrase to say. Well, yeah, it had that quote on the box: <laughs> "Soil yeah. and green is people." <laughs> Which is interesting. Didn't Heston um, start a run of movies with this, and then he did "Soil and Green," and then "Omega Man" like in a row? This was like, yeah, it's something like that because it's like it's similar to like Nick Cage doing like Con Air face off on the Rock all at the same yeah. time. Like it's right. just like Chuck Cass was like, "Hey guys, this is my plan." Yeah. Sci-fi. I, I really like ah. Omega Man too. I mean, yeah, Omega Man's great. Yeah, Omega Man. I'd, 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 yeah, I put Omega Man at like at the bottom three of the of those three. But yeah, it's certainly a fun movie. Just Chuck Heston badassing it around in a in a in a, in a, in a, uh, in a what is he what is he driving in that movie? <laughs> It's a charger, but a charger. I, I love the I love the uh, I love the scene where he, you know he, he rolls Woodstock in the movie theater by himself, and he's like, they don't make him like that anymore. <laughs> and like at the time, at the time it came out, I'm sure it was very poignant and timely that he said that. But yeah. you know, 30 years down the road, it makes it all the more ironic. Ah. Here's one thing that caught on to me this time watching it was, um, if you remember, you know, I've been a fan of this franchise for a while, so I was always reading up on it. And during the during the 90s. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, it was a passion project to him to remake this movie. Like, that was his goal. Where he'd play both, the night, he'd where play he'd... both Taylor and every single ape. Correct? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, he'd be Taylor, but I was watching this movie and I was like, man, him and Heston kind of have the same kind of presence. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. In, 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 the, in, this, in this movie, at least, Heston has that, that presence where I'm like, man, he's like Arnold without the accent. Almost, I could definitely say, got that same that physicality that Arnold yeah. has in, in his performance, and that kind of um, I don't know. Uh, Heston's delivery is just you know so unique. The way he just says lines, and oh yeah, the way he speaks his lines and delivers them. You know that cadence is just very you know very singular to him. You know, I don't know if I could see Schwarzenegger like giving shit to the other guys the way Heston does in a couple minutes here though. Yeah, well, I mean... Which is something, because I, I just watched this again, so it's, like, fresh in my mind. It's like, Tyson's yeah. really being a dick for no reason to the other guys who, you know, promptly die in this movie, or, you know, one of them dies, the other's lobotomized. Yeah. But I just, I mean, I just, I could see it. No, I, yeah, you know, I could like, I could see, yeah, in terms of, like, screen presence and other things that happen mm-hmm. in this movie, for sure, I can see how... Yeah. Back in the too- 90s, when I was reading about it, I was kind of like, I don't know about that. And I was like, why are you doing this, Arnold? What? <laughs> 
why if back then it was like why waste your time remaking a, a classic like this but now it nowadays it's par for the course it's okay because tim burton and mark Wahlberg did it for him somehow it landed mm-hmm. in their in their their hands i want to talk about that movie later because i just want to keep focused on planet of the apes for now but i do have some things to bring up about it so we'll yeah, get there oh, definitely I'm looking at uh, Heston's filmography. Yeah, Planet of the Apes, 68. Beneath the Planet of the Apes, uh, 70. Omega Man, 71. Soil and Green, 73. Something called. He doesn't show up in Beneath the very end, though, right? Yeah. He's, well, in, like, he's, he's in, in like half movie. that movie. Like he's he's in it. Well, they make you think he he he's in there in the opening scene, and then there's a a a flashback later on to explain where he went, and then he he shows up in the last like ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, for him right. not being the lead, he's certainly in it more than I expected him to be in it when I initially it's, watched it. It's a weird dynamic in that movie where James Franciscus is, for all intents and purposes, our main character of the whole movie. But once Heston shows up, he's just fodder. Yeah. And uh, we don't you don't care. And the guy gets like just coldly shot point blank in the head. Yeah. It's weird too how in he a like G follows movie. <laughs> Yeah. And he follows when, Heston's steps almost, you know, note for note and shape for shape at some points. Yeah, yeah. It's basically the first half of that movie is Planet of the Apes done really fast and really cheaply. And because mm-hmm. all the money went into the underground stuff, which is fantastic. Once it hits a halfway mark, that's a great movie. It's just I, I, I have a hard time sitting through the first half where I'm like, I, who's this guy? I don't care. Where's, where's Taylor? I mean, part of part of the problem is where's Taylor? And half the adventure to get to Taylor isn't that interesting because it's Taylor's adventure we already saw. Right. But there is a fantastic uh, action sequence with um, uh, when Franciscus uh, is in the carriage and he climbs out and fights an ape to take control of it. That's yeah. a pretty good sequence. But it's just kind of just tick-tock, where are we going? We've seen this, seen this, seen this. And then it gets insanely interesting. It flip-flops and becomes just about as good as this movie, pretty much. And once they you know go beneath the Planet of the Apes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, once they do what the title tells you they're going to do. Which always felt, as I've watched it, as I keep watching it, it feels like it's a quicker journey to Beneath the Planet of the Apes. I always felt like oh, yeah, you it just took get so long to get there. But now, with the film. yeah, when I was doing it this time, I was clocking the time, and it's about dead center of the movie that they they enter. This is the kind, this is what I'm talking about. This movie, like, has to like, I he's just so mean. He seems like the other guy for no reason. He's like he's chiding him for for you know wanting to have emotion over the fact that everything he knew is now gone. While Heston's like taking it with stride, and the guy's like planting an American flag, and Heston's like, ha, that's the stupidest thing you could have done right now. Like he's just being a dick. Well, I think it's you know reality hasn't set in for him. Uh, yeah, I get you that. know it's. Well, even though, I've even that, like, you look at, like, the beginning of this film, and it seems like he's waxing poetic about space, the final frontier, or whatever you want to call it. Like, he seems like he's a fairly reasonable guy, but then he's just like, ha, now the other guys are awake, and I'm going to make fun of them. Ha! Like, has to... He's the boss. But he also, I mean, if, if he's a guy going on a space mission like this, I mean, he's cold hard and left what behind? Probably nothing. Probably just I, carried, yeah, you know, I get all himself, yeah. his life's a mission. I don't know. He is being a dick, yes. <laughs> well, in the unwanted uh, prequel reboot of Planet of the Apes that has Taylor's early life on Earth, <laughs> like we'll see yes. how that goes, I guess. Oh, boy. Um, but Jim, Jim's favorite is uh, Beneath, right? Yeah, Your the favorite. second oh, half of Beneath, of all the Church of the Almighty Bomb and all that good stuff, Victor Bono and all that. When you say favorite, you mean favorite of the sequels? Yes. Yeah, okay. You know, yep. did, you guys know the funny thing about Beneath? The, the sets are actually... 
the same sets used for Hello Dolly, just hmm. done post-apocalyptic. Because huh. <laughs> Fox was trying to, you know, cut corners, save money. So that was already built, so it didn't have to go in the budget. And they just, you know, made it. That would have made Wally a totally different movie. Yeah. Yes. I'm a uh, I'm a big fan of Escape from the Planet of the Apes, the third mm-hmm. the third movie in the franchise. Um, That's a good one too. It's like one of the most popular, probably the most popular sequel of all the original canon. People like Conquest, or not? Yeah, Conquest. People Conquest like that. wasn't cool to like till later. I, I, I like Conquest before it was cool. Yeah, but it still seems like it's winning now. Like it seems like it that's is, the one that gets well, brought I mean, up with, the most. With having Rise around, I mean, that definitely helps build it. I always. Even before that, though, like I was feeling the conquest love when I was rewatching all these movies and kind okay. of reading about them. That's kind of the impression I got. But fair enough. I like, yeah. Growing up, though, it seemed, Escape was always the popular one because it was fun. It was like Star Trek Four for uh, for the Apes movies. Is that the whales? Yeah, that's the whales. I, I'm gonna guess that every time someone brings up a Star Wars movie or Star Trek <laughs> movie, I never, I, ne- I never <laughs> actually know. Well, that's that was that one. Like you could ask your your grandma about Star Trek 4, and she'd know about Star Trek 4, but, you know, because it was the accessible, I mean, there was an accessibility to it. ask me, because I wouldn't know. (laughs) I know, I know. But it seemed like, back back then, I don't, nowadays probably not, but back from, like, you know, the 80s and the 90s, if you asked about a Star Trek movie, they probably knew about Star Trek 4. The Chekhov going, looking for the nuclear vessels and... Over Khan? Over Ribocardo Multiple? Yeah, Over Khan. Okay. Star Mm. Trek 4 did, like, over $100 million at the box office. People... People weren't even into Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek Four. Khan's a better if, movie, but if Khan hadn't been a success. That that franchise wouldn't have never would have never gotten a third movie. What did three right, do? No, the right. first the like, first movie bombed so horribly and so hugely and made cost so much money and made almost none of it back. That if Khan had not been the rousing success that it was, that franchise would have just died on the vine until it got rebooted. This sounds exactly like uh, like Firefly. <laughs> Firefly gets canceled. Firefly gets a movie. It bombs horribly. We're, we're, as soon as we get Firefly 2, I'm sure it will just take off from there, right? <laughs> if it has well, Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't saying the quality or that Khan wasn't a success. It's just that, like, the the public got into Star Trek 4 for some reason. Like, people who weren't Star Trek people got into star trek all right that was my getting back to uh this movie what's at hand this is what um and what you were pointing out earlier brandon about just kind of the cinematography and like yeah. the shots i mean you're looking at this world that's obviously you know obviously again we it's not like we're filming on other planets we're filming on earth but just we're presenting this natural um environment which is where it's a shot like utah is that like a lot of it uh, looks like it i'm pretty, pretty sure it's like a monument valley Monument Arizona. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, near Grand Canyon, Colorado River, Lake Powell. So yeah, a lot of you know, a lot of uh, Midwest, um, uh, southern, southwest kind of areas to provide just barren landscapes with, to represent the Forbidden Zone. And um, it lo- it looks like it could be another planet. Like not being not being told that initially, just being told like if you're walking into the movie the first time called Planet of the Apes, and you're looking at this like yeah, all right, they're on a different planet. Like I, no, I think when that, I first watched it, I I thought this was a different planet. I, I never too. once, I never once thought Earth was going to be the answer. So it was a shocking twist. Here's a but question. Like you, you, go, go, go. No, 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 no. Make a really good point about the cinematography though, because we get a lot of long shots on these guys as they're moving through the environment. They're really making the environment part of the story, and you know, by making a part of the composition of the shot. I mean, instead of giving us a regular two shot of these guys talking. You know, where we get like a static two shot where, you know, we're getting this tracking shot where we get to see, you know, the environment as part of the story and definitely part of 
You, know, you wouldn't get this nowadays at all. Oh, oh my no, god, there, people not. would have no patience for this. this no, is, like there's, like, and it's, there's I, I love this stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. There's so much setup in this movie. There's so many like yeah, just like shots of nothing happening. Like we would have met up with the apes by now. I mean, for, to to be fair, and I haven't seen Dawn of the Planet of the Apes yet, but what I'm hearing is that you know you're not gonna you're gonna get pretty much that this kind of stuff in that movie just with only apes and like and no talking for the most part for like the first 20 minutes at least so i mean it's like, they're certainly trying to evoke things that made this movie work so well but yeah i mean well from what i hear like reeves really had a handle on what the apes movies were yeah and a lot of people were worried about him a, a new director taking over after rise but i was like when i heard matt reeves i was like got it oh yeah that's they yeah. got it I'd almost want them. To, I know he's going to do the follow up, but I almost want them to switch hands again just to see the different, you know, uh, different take yeah. on it. Because these, I mean, up until four and five, they had a different director each one. Mm-hmm. Who did Beneath? Uh, Ted Post, who uh, did Magnum Force. There we go. Okay. Here's a question: When you're watching the when you're watching the Tim Burton one for the first time, and I saw that in theaters like opening weekend. Yep. <laughs> were you were you were you assuming that it was going to be Earth? Um, spoilers for Planet of the Apes, Tim Burton, two thousand one edition. I I kind of I didn't you know I think I might have read somewhere that it wasn't. So you already knew, or something before it came. I think they were trying to establish that they were going more off the book, from which, which this and, is based, and which the, it and wasn't. Book, yeah, the book is not. But Earth. I I think in the back of my mind I was like maybe they were just throwing some, you know, smoke for pulling the same old twist, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm so pretty was, sure that the whole thing of it being Earth is attributed to Rod Serling's we read yes, the script. Yes, because they brought yeah. him in. Yeah, they brought the Twilight Zone master in to tweak it. and. Well, even, I mean, even with the ending of the book and, and the Tim Burton version, there is a Twilight Zone-esque aspect to that ending as well. Yeah. But yeah, no, I see what you're saying for sure, having Rod Serling around to adapt the screenplay for Planet of the Apes. Yeah, it <laughs> gives, a, gives a new light to it. But yeah, I was definitely thinking, okay, they're going to be on Earth, right? And that was just not, and that's not even a thing that made me, you know, dislike that movie. And there's many reasons I dislike Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. But yeah, that wasn't one of them. That was just more of like a no. a head scratcher thrown on top of the fact that I already didn't like this movie. Yeah. I'd have to go with Abraham Lincoln being my biggest. Oh, well, yeah, that's where I was scratching my head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could all agree that Tim Roth's fantastic in that movie, but. Still, there's nothing else really going on, and even what Danny Elfman's score, trying, he kind of tries in Planet of the Apes. Yeah, hey, that score's not bad. Yeah. I, I like the opening, the credit credit scoring and stuff. The other stuff's more traditional yeah, blockbuster sounding. Yeah, that, that's kind of Elfman in yeah. mid two thousands. Um, no, it's it's funny. Who'd have thought summer two thousand one that uh, if you'd have thought then that one of the movies coming out would spawn a seven film franchise. Would it be playing the apes or Fast and Furious? You'd have thought it was, uh, yeah, yeah, the apes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the makeup's fantastic, but that just comes with the territory of technology. The makeup's fantastic. It's got some great sets, but they look like sets. Yeah, they, that's I, a yeah, big problem with that movie. I don't feel. I feel like I'm watching it like uh, making of a 19, you know, 60s, 50s sci-fi movie. I was super excited about that movie too. Oh no, like, I was I was like a top movie to see that. I was summer. I was watching all the behind the scenes stuff, looking at all Rick Baker's work, like he was giving interviews and everything. I was like it, and like I like Mark Wahlberg, like I love Boogie Nights, like I was all on I was on the Wahlberg Tim train. Tim Burton, he can't go and wrong. I, yeah, exactly like Tim Burton's <laughs> coming off Tim Burton's coming <laughs> no. off of uh 
He's coming Hollow. off Sleepy Hollow, which is yeah. my favorite Tim Burton movie. So I'm like, all of this sounds amazing. <laughs> just this is before he left a whole bunch of smoldering franchises wrecked on the highway uh, <laughs> as you try to reboot them. And the cast, like, Hello What About Carter, Michael Clark Duncan, Paul Giamatti. It was, it Tim was Robert's first Tim big Ross. movie, wasn't it? it yeah, was big, like, big in, in fact, yeah, in fact, um, uh, what's it called? Um, Entourage's second season based around Aquaman is supposed to, is supposed to mirror the life Mark Wahlberg had when he was considering starting a Planet of the Apes. Like, that's the idea behind that. Or perfect, <laughs> yeah, that and, like, Perfect Storm at the same time. Did he, uh, yeah, he this, and then he what, went on to Rockstar, right? Yep. These were actually in uh, the Burton one. Dude, damn, the your scare- damn your yeah. scarecrows. <laughs> I love that, and I love the music cue. Like, <laughs> stuff's so good in here. Great. Yeah, we're still with these guys, and no apes 25 minutes into the film. That would not happen nowadays. Yeah. Oh, no. no. Oh, my God. Wahlberg, Boogie Nights, the big hit, my favorite guilty pleasure of all time, Three Kings. Like, the, like he's killing it right now in the 90s. Well, you, you know what's funny, too, is... You know, we may be like 25 minutes in, no apes. We're still going to go a couple more minutes without apes. The trailers for these things were like, back in the day, were like super spoilery, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then they would, they would, the film would still take its time. You know, because I don't think, well, I mean, if you saw a trailer, you saw it in the theater, you had no way to keep seeing it. Exactly. That's, that's what it so. comes down to, yeah. That's why it's easy to forgive trailers from back in the day as opposed to now, or they yeah. they're doing the same thing. Like people want to complain that trailers nowadays give away everything. It's like, well, that hasn't changed. It's always been like that. It's just now you have YouTube yeah. and you have every means you can to see trailers again and again and again and again, which is again your choice. <laughs> and so it's, it's like I'm yes. necessarily forcing this upon you either. But yeah, when you see a trailer of the movie in the '70s, when you see like a trailer for Jaws, and you get a lot of Jaws without seeing mm-hmm. the actual shark, which is why it's a great trailer, um, you get a sense of what that movie is. So, you know, six months later or whenever, when you actually see the movie, you're like, oh, yeah, all right, this is that movie I was going to see. Like, you, you have a familiarity, but you're not feeling spoiled on it. Yeah, like the trailer for the original Halloween is like, wh- why did you show all this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this, well, yeah, they go swimming, right? Yeah. They go swimming. I had a friend of mine, an older friend of mine, um, tell me that this was the first time that Less she saw the movie. This is the first time that she saw male rear end when she saw this movie in the theaters. <laughs> well, you know what's oh man, another great thing. This came out the same year as two thousand one: A Space Odyssey. Yeah, um, <laughs> and my big great my, sci-fi movies. Of my, all, like... my biggest issue with Planet of the Apes is the fact that it won a makeup award in Planet of the Era and in two thousand one didn't because those apes look amazing in two thousand one. <laughs> this is like all right, they're fine, but. Come on, like they look like apes in two thousand one. Like I'm hard, I'm hard convinced to like pick out the ones that aren't real, and they're all not real. Like it's crazy. A part of that's the acting too. I yeah, I mean, (laughs) I could talk all day about how much respect two thousand one deserved when it came out and it didn't get it. I mean, these are two like sci-fi masterpieces that just work on the same levels and different levels all at the same time. Yeah. That's what I love about them. And then, like, what, Solaris came out, like, a couple years later, right? Mm-hmm. I think Solaris like, 73, maybe. 73, and it kind of falls in the category of, like, feeling like these movies. Oh, shoot. No, it's, uh... oh, yeah, it is, 72. There's, there's another Solaris in 68, but that's not it. That's some other thing. In the, US, in the 70s, you also got all those really goofy sci-fi movies, too, like Zardoz. Oh, yeah. Oh, Zardoz. And, and uh, Logan's Run. Well, even, like, know. Omega Man is, a, I consider, a mm-hmm. goofy sci-fi movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> compared, really? to, compared to this. Yeah. Logan's Run was, like, the last of them, right? Because shortly after Star Wars came. And, yeah. Right. Yeah, and just and, changed everything. Logan's Run won, like, technical, like, tons of technical awards, right? 
Uh, mm-hmm. I can look that up, and I'm pretty sure you're correct on that one. But yeah, Star Wars and like Alien. I mean, they they brought in that you know that grittier sci-fi where it yeah. ha- where everything was used wasn't. space. Ex- yeah, th- thank you. Right. Used space exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and then you got Star Trek the motion picture that came out in 1979, trying to go back to like the 2001 stuff. Like, no, we got this now. We're good. It got special Academy. It won a. It won a. Logan's Run won a special Academy Award. It got nominated for cinematography and art direction. Okay. Logan's Run's. A, that's a fun I love one. that movie. That's a fun. <laughs> I got. A, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I, I like. That's one where I could see a remake. Think and I'm thinking, yeah, well, this no, happened already. It, it, well, Brian Singer had it for a while. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Him and Matt yeah. Damon, and then it was him and Gosling. Uh, McQuarrie uh, had it. For actually, a while. I heard that Kim Levine from Bioshock wrote a uh, treatment. Yep, for a I, remake of Logan's Run, and okay, that was one of the reasons he, um, after Bioshock Infinite, you, may, you know, they stripped down Irrational Games to a much smaller crew or whatever, so he could work on that. And that's essentially what what is it? Andrew Nichol of True, um, True Truman Show fame. He he did in time, and that movie has I think that has a lot indebted to uh, Logan's Run. Oh, it's, yeah, just, it's just not a good movie. But uh... Back when back when Michael York could open your movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he is Michael York is. Logan. Yeah. A lot of people know him as just Basil Exposition Basil. in the Austin, Austin Powers movies. Right. I mean, he was big with big Logan's Run and Cabaret back in the... Cabaret, yeah. Uh, what's the other thing? There's something else. Didn't he have like a Three show? Musketeers. Three Musketeers. Okay. He was some... Still no apes, by the way. We're about half an hour in the movie. <laughs> and this is... Uh, the, the reveal is so great, too. It is. It's, it's like a terrifying reveal. And that goes with uh, with Goldsmith's music. I mean, the yeah, score is really, so good in this movie. Yeah, it really puts you in the position of these astronauts when you see the ape for the first time. And everybody's dirty except that one hottie. Mm-hmm. Nova. <laughs> Keep, keeping it clean. Her hair's a bit must, though. So, you know. Still ratted out, though. I love how big Charles and Eston's teeth are, by the way. It's like, it's, it's, they're almost comically large. Like, they're just about there. Like, that's how big his teeth are. Don't quite fit I mean, in his mouth. He's just like, you know, he's one of those presences that just, I mean, larger than life. No matter what he does, he's going to command the screen. Oh, and, and it's no wonder he can, he can chew the scenery. He has teeth yeah, that big. He literally chews it. <laughs> I love that. He cameoed in that, the Tim Burton one, right? He did, he, as an ape. As an as an ape, ape that as an ape that rejects the that doesn't want to use guns that makes it yes. even better. <laughs> and then he he quotes his last line in this movie, I think before, and then dies. And yeah. it just a ridiculous scene. Yeah, but Tim Roth's there, so it makes it. Cool. Yeah, Tim Roth's there. Yeah, I gotta give Tim Roth so much credit for making Tim Roth totally methoded that movie. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm sure he like Andy Serkis did and like lived with apes for months at a time before doing one of these. Well, you know, you know, Tim Roth turned to, uh, he. Turned down, or he took, or he resigned the role of Snape in the Harry Potter movies to do Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. Oh, I'm sure Alan Rickman laughs at him. Yeah. <laughs> From a distance, he just calls him on the phone. Hello, Mr. Roth. And at, this, at the time, I still think it's the wrong decision. <laughs> Even, like, you're going to be in this popular young adult book adaptation This that has, you know, franchise potential for, what, seven films, at least at the time. Maybe they were just both puzzled by they didn't get the Lord of the Rings call, so they just chose whatever. That's true. <laughs> now we have we 30, 32 minutes in. Yeah. We see our first ape. 
And this music's so good. I, <laughs> I love this score so much. Chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans. No yeah. other no other monkeys. Mm-hmm. And and I all... forget, I think it was Roddy McDowell used to be famous for telling the story that when they would have, like, uh, meal breaks or whatever, like, the, the gorillas would all sit together, and the orangutans would all sit together, <laughs> yeah. and the chimps would all sit together, you know? Which I thought was pretty humorous. That is something I like about Rise quite a bit, and that what seems to be carrying forward in Dawn as well, that they have those factions still. They do have orangutans, and they do have gorillas, and they do have chimpanzees, and just leave it at that. I like Taylor's jump right here. <laughs> it gets away from that net. Glad corn's still, you know, a good product in the in the future. <laughs> like that's that didn't like get go extinct or whatever. I've never seen a monkey eat corn before. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the apes have really harnessed the power of cornfields yet, even though they, yeah. they're they growing. <laughs> I like the stunt work here with this big hill. There's there's some cool, like, people falling down and like, oh. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, you think about that for a second. It's like, oh, yeah, people are, you know, risking their lives to, like, break ankles or whatnot just so they can fall off these little hills. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the prob- one of the major problems with Tim Burton's Film is from from the outset before you even go shoot the movie. It's doomed because you just it's, this is just one thing you can't replicate with this you know what this movie does because it's because of the phenomenon it was. I mean, I it, think if given that it has that different ending, like I think if the movie was just better written or better handled overall, there could have been potential to do. I mean, Rise is obviously doing so. I mean, it's it's a completely different way to do. I mean, it, it came at a different time though. So at the time, I mean, reboot wasn't really a thing. It was more like you had to sort of remake it had to resemble the original in some way at the mm-hmm. time and you really i mean you get the sense of chaos i mean the camera really tightens up in these scenes it's a lot closer to yeah yeah for sure it's a lot closer to the action than we saw in the, the big expanses that we're in before and really like after having those big wide shots bringing these these tighter you know close-up shots and really i mean brings out the action and, and the terror i mean yeah, I mean, we're just watching, like, this foreign thing happen where, like, people are running away from these creatures <laughs> that, um... You guys just beating him with a gun barrel yeah, in the yeah. water. I didn't notice that before. Oh, jeez. Yep, took one in the neck Somebody's falls oh, eyes. I'm telling yeah, I'm saying, the stunt works really good in this <laughs> scene. That is not deep water. Yeah. And people are all, you know, it's crowded. <laughs> people are probably falling all over each other. Taylor. The other thing, and this is something that's obviously been solved to an extent, and that all those people were dead. Um, that's a lot of imagery. Um, something that's been solved in the by having these, you know, these reboot films with the, you know, computer, the CG apes that look amazing. Um, in '68, like the makeup, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's fine. Like I, I'm not gonna say dated's a word to use, but I wouldn't say that it really applies. It's more that's what you had to work with. But if you're watching this movie for the first time and you're seeing this, I don't think you have any. Would you would you think that this is supposed to represent what apes are supposed to look like and not just be like some kind of weird humanoid version of apes I, on a different planet? I took I always took it as it was like an um, they were evolved at, right. just, okay. to somehow be that way. I never took them as um, just uh, this is just apes. I, I, I always took them as like a an evolved version of apes. And, and it, yeah, and it helps to. Th- for the mystique of you thinking this is another planet. Exactly. That's yeah. That's what it helps right. too. But I, I never heard till like recently people being like, Oh my gosh, these were supposed to look like apes and I'm like, Well I never I never ever took it that way. I always took it as like this was a an evolution this is a planet that maybe 
evolved differently. Or apes the evolved apes, or, from men, maybe? Yeah, or the apes evolved, yeah, <laughs> evolved from men. Or, Sorry. you know, something like that. And then I think with Conquest, they try to show that. that, that yes, know. for sure, yeah. That's, right. That when they, I watch Conquest, yeah. when the I, apes for, uh, for servitude and stuff. When I, when I revisit, well, obviously Escape does that too, just by having the time travel thing thrown in there. I mean, you, and yeah, Conquest emphasizes that by showing the kind of progression and then you get to battle. Um, but yeah, that was something that I kind of picked up on when I was rewatching the, the sequels. Like, yeah, I guess they are supposed to be apes. <laughs> it's just, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, that makes sense to me, Brandon. Yeah, kind of an evolved version, which makes me wonder if these prequels keep going or, you know, whatever, this new franchise keeps going, Rise and Dawn, like what the, end game could be if there's like a giant time jump that leads to you know thousands of years from now like this movie and kind of tries to do that again yeah. and i you know with the makeup and stuff this is fantastic i mean this is absolutely groundbreaking work here and so, i i'm of the mind that when you watch a film from 1968 1969 that you need to watch it with the mindset of 1968 1969 and know the limitations and not hold modern-day attributes to a and, movie and, made then. You know? I mean, you say that, but 2001 A Space Odyssey was pretty good-looking apes. <laughs> they did. Yeah. Well, they good I, think, apes. I think what's also kind of amazing is with the layers and layers of makeup on how much acting they're able to do and how much they're able to get, how much you're able to express and get across with that much makeup on. I mean, Kim Hunter and Roddy McDowell and, Which, and you know, Maurice Evans and stuff. Yeah, they're um, able to emote quite well. Which yeah, is, it's which kind is of amazing shame, that they're able to get that, anything across. It's a shame that the sequels have lower budgets and the costumes don't necessarily suffer. It's just they don't get to they improve. Just, they're reused. That's yeah. pretty much. But well, they don't get to. 2000, 2001, the apes aren't required to act. True. Yeah. Like very. Humans. Very true. Yes, I, I, I completely get that aspect of it. By the way, so now we're in the second act of this movie. I need to point this out because I, I've 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 been writing Heston on how much of a dick he's been, but it makes complete sense when you get to this, where it's basically the most frustrating position he could possibly be in, where he has all the intelligence he needs, but he cannot communicate that in any other way. So it's just like watching Heston not be able to talk while everyone's just mocking him. It's really like, I, and he looks like just another human when he's trying to do this. Stuff. Yes. If there's any reason that, like, keeps me from, like, putting Planet of the Apes as, like, an all-time favorite, it's because I'm so frustrated by this act of the movie. <laughs> it's just like, there he is. All he has, he can eat, he can't talk. And he's just, like, being held back from doing something just makes me so upset in so many ways. It's ridiculous. Well, the movie's working for you, then. It is. It's doing that, but it's still, like... Uh, it's a weird primal emotion, Brandon. <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to grasp in a way that's more positive. Even though I do like all this stuff with with, uh, with um, Kim Hunter and everybody. Kim Hunter's, like, terrific. She's, like, she kind is. of one of the hearts of the series, but, I mean... Which I mean, makes, Rodney McDowell like, gets known, but... It's part of why I like Escape so much. It's so tragic. <laughs> and it's mainly her star. I mean, Cornelius is there, but she's, I think, truly the star. Oh, of yeah. That, it's so. Kim, I mean, yeah, she's the one having the kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When she gets the fun, I mean, she gets to do the fun stuff. She has to gets the grape juice plus. She has the kid. She she seems to be the one they want to focus on learning all the 1970s culture things. And again, but then has that such a tragic ending. I oh, really yeah. like I really like Escape because I I like that kind of fish out of water stuff. Even though this movie is technically doing that as well. Like 
well, well, it's obviously, like it's reverse. Obviously, it works. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. logical to go there. Obviously, I like Planet. I mean, Planet of the Apes is the favorite of all of us between in this franchise. But yeah, in terms of the sequels, I just I really like that stuff. Escape, but uh, Conquest is Conquest is fun. I like Conquest. It's just dark. <laughs> it's yeah, like, I get what they're doing, but it's like I. It's one that like I don't feel like watching as much as I like watching Escape. Fair enough. No, like Escape. I think it is a brilliant move that they made. I mean, you have to give it that they went back in time. That's just the one thing they ask you to do. Um, but for a series, like a franchise is weren't if, if Iron Man is made back in 1968, 69, this is the first one's 68, right? Yes. Okay. If Iron Man's made in 1968 and it's a big hit, when they go to make Iron Man two, they don't double the budget. They cut it. Mm-hmm. That's how they did it back then because a sequel would have diminishing returns. And that's what they, you know, we'll, we'll keep, it was kind of like milking it, but they, I mean, each sequel was expected to make a What about a the Bond less. movies? That's a different thing. It was owned by, a, you know, a family. Um, Fair, okay, yeah. And, you know, they just wouldn't quit, but a lot of sequels were seen as diminishing returns. So every time a new Apes film came, okay, cut the budget, go go do another one. All right, this one came in, cut the budget again. And later movies and stuff like that. Yeah, and they kept making less money, too. So, I mean, it was it was just following... It wasn't until like the last decade or so that sequels started making money, becoming, you know, better film. Like it used to be, you know, sequels suck and they're always inferior films. But now we live in an age now where they're besting with consistency. I mean, sequels then before. too were they were made for money. Like I really, well, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's 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 hard to say that, but sometimes. But at the same time, it does seem like if you're making a sequel to movies back then, it's entirely because of money. Like it's, it's very, you, like, yeah. Well, making Beneath the Planet of the Apes was huge back then. They just didn't make sequels. Uh, I mean, that was uh, getting a sequel was a big deal if you weren't if you weren't James Bond or like you know Hammer Horror. Um, you were. I mean, getting a sequel was a big deal. And uh, you know, when they when Beneath was a hit, they went to Escape and said, "Okay, we'll do t- we'll do another one after this." So set us up. It was, Escape was the only one made where they were planning on doing another one. And. But, I mean, it just, it's how they went. And Escape, the brilliance of that was the budget got cut again from beneath, and they just said, they put it in modern times so they would only have to have practically two apes for the whole movie to do that makeup on, which was, you know, a big cost, and they could just have it in modern times. And not have to focus on sets. They could just shoot on locations or already built sets on studio lots and, you know, this said to have been, I mean, this was hugely expensive for the time when it was made. I mean, considering, you know, like, like you said, we said before, the state-of-the-art makeup, the sets, all the on-location shooting, um, you know, A-list actor like Heston, things like that. I mean, this, yeah. I, I don't think Fox really expected this to make as much and to be as successful as it was. No. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, this is so expensive. This great, this little city they have. Which looks town like with apes, you'll never, you won't see again in Beneath. You'll think you saw it again, but you don't. This town looks like Bedrock from the Flintstones, by the way. It's definitely adorable. These two. Uh, <laughs> I Great for- chemistry. I I completely forgot that Chris Christopherson was in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, for two lines in three minutes. I was like, why? Did, what's he even doing here? He just he you know he's always wanted to work with uh with uh, Estella Warren that was the that's right <laughs> in the early seventies by law you had to have Christopher Christopherson in your movie at some point he had all that blade clout going on so. 
Um, you know, what's a cool thing that the Planet of the Apes franchise has that comes with some bigger franchises, they, you know, speaking of Escape, um, they kind of have a trilogy within its own, like, full franchise. Like, Escape, Conquest, and Battle can really hold on their own as their own little trilogy. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, series like, um, uh, Halloween has, like, those Jamie Lloyd movies. Where I was about like to say, three movies exactly, in there. Like, exactly um, like that, yeah. Friday the 13th has the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. Star Trek has, you know, three or two, three, and four, which hold together. Um, Elm Street's got theirs. Planet Apes has theirs. It's kind of an interesting thing. A way to go, Nova. Mm-hmm. And here we go, Dr. Zayas, or Dr. Naysayas, as I call him. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. And what's cool is Dr. Zayas is an iconic character, too, that came from this. Yeah, he's also a dick. Yeah, he's also a dick. <laughs> but, I mean, he's, like, he's super well-known. You could say Dr. Zayas. Yeah, because it's an exactly awesome name, and he has a sweet yeah. coat. Like, he's the, he's the shaft of Ape Town. I'll give him that. There you still. go. And to, and to be fair, I mean, Maurice Evans is great at playing condescending assholes. He really is. Yeah. <laughs> Our shaft commentary, by the way, we got to do that one at some point. Oh, nice. yes. Shaft and 2000 Shaft as well. I like that movie. That commentary would be Shaft's one big score's not bad either. Shaft has a great score, yeah. Well, no, I meant big score, his second one. Oh, Shaft's big score, okay. Yeah. We don't have to talk about Shaft in Africa. That's We don't either. No. Yeah, I need to go. <laughs> I, Let that one go, huh? This is, this is going to be a... God, I don't even know if I want to go into such a crazy tangent, but I'll just real quick. Shaft. I saw a movie called Airplane vs. Volcano starring front of the show Jimmy O from JoeBlow.com. Not star, but he's in it. Stars Dean Kane. It's fine. But there's a black um, uh, you air marshal in that movie on the airplane. He's played by Freddie Boom Boom Washington from Welcome Back, Cotter. Nice. Um, something I found out uh, from the directors I was talking to about that movie, uh, uh, Freddie Boom Boom Washington, he was supposed to be Shaft. Um, wow. after, after Roundtree, um, and they are going to make sequels in the TV series, they auditioned him a lot to be Shaft because Roundtree was apparently not the best person to be working with, but he kept coming back, so they kept having him as Shaft. But they kept having Freddie Boom Boom Washington as the alternate. Like, he was going to be wow. it. And his wow. career probably could have been a lot bigger if he was Shaft. But See, if I happen. remember Lawrence Hilliard-Jacobs, right? Yes, yes, yeah, there you go. I'm trying to remember his name. But it's easier I to did. say Freddie Boo Boo Washington. All right, that concludes, our, that concludes our mini Shaft commentary. Back to Planet of the well, Apes. Hey, well, that's interesting because Snipes is who they wanted before Jackson got the role. I see, ja- the... I see Jackson as Shaft more than Snipes. I, uh, uh, I can see Snipes. I, yeah. Uh... After Blade 3, I can't see Snipes. <laughs> it was before Blade 3. So... Okay, I was going to say. I could see Snipes walking up to an all you can eat. You know what? Uh, yeah, no, I, you know, I'm, looking, I'm thinking about 90 Snipes now. I can actually see him yeah. in the shaft. I can see, like, if I they mean, be... he would be the easiest option A to think of. I, 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 yeah, I am so I am so consumed by snipes from the from the from the Blade era that I forget about kind of nineties. Astro even... fifty seven, Boiling Point, Rising Sun, White Man Militia Can't Man, Jump, White Man Can't Jump. White... Yeah, yeah, no, I for, I forget. But yeah, snipes turned it down. New Jack City. Yeah. Still one of my favorite uh, insults in any movie. Which one's that? Sit your five dollar ass down before I decide to make change. <laughs> Snipes in uh, New Jack City. Oh, uh, there's some. Thank God they speak English on the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think it's called the Common Tongue. Oh, you know, one, one little detail about this movie that that when I little little young Brandon 
watching it really caught with him was that Taylor is from Fort Wayne, Indiana, which was where I was born and raised. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, and I'd never seen it mentioned in a movie before. And your parents called you Bright Eyes for the longest time. Yes, they did. I didn't understand that. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting first time watching. I was like, what? Fort Wayne, Indiana. What do you think the third Planet of the Ace movie is going to be called after Dawn? What are they going to, is it going to be fresh territory? Because isn't Dawn supposed to be kind of like what Rise did for Conquest, this one does for Battle? I mean, that's what it looks like. Yeah. They're not direct remakes, but they certainly have that backing to them, it seems. I guess it depends on where the movie ends. <laughs> Midnight of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I, I, I've been told it's, afternoon. It's, it's, a, it's very in tune with the Apes series with how it ends. Tea time with the Planet of the Apes. Brunch of the Planet of the Apes. There it is. <laughs> Done. Got it. <laughs> Get your hands off my sausage, you damn dirty ape. And pass the orange juice. Or you burned bad. my eggs, Benedict, all to hell! Ah! <laughs> It's a, now, it's a combination of me being frustrated that he can't talk and everyone being so stubborn around him when he's writing things and doing so many things that are smart. Well, I mean, it's kind of the, the mentality that Dr. Zayas has put upon this community, being ignorant and hiding things. Well, you've got the orangutans who are kind of the hierarchy and the the, you know, the religious right, kind of, who are kind of trying to keep it away. You know, the lawgiver is the law and all that kind of stuff. You have the militant wing, the gorillas, and then you have the scientists and the intellectuals who are the chimpanzees. So, they're also the protesters. They're, yeah. And you know, I, I got to give credit because um, Roddy McDowell didn't return for the second Planet of the Apes. Yeah. But the guy who fills in for him does a pretty good job of making it kind of feel seamless. Yeah. I do like when he asks for a map, and he's like, yeah. And then he's got a traipse over, and he's with his rags and everything. I, I, do, I do think... Uh, do you guys think the apes are born with their fashion sense? Because... When they go from conquest to battle, they are wearing this. They have the same clothing, color schemes, and clothing as they do in this movie. I question the, um, the 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 wisdom of like wool and leather gherkins in in you know, a subtropical <laughs> climate. You know, considering they already have a big layer of fur underneath, one would assume life finds a way. That's got to smell like a like batch a bad ape. <laughs> do they have ape colognes? <laughs> I feel like that's handled in escape. They have to sm- yeah, it's, it's called ninety nine bananas. <laughs> doesn't <laughs> Jesus doesn't um, Zira like go to like a beauty shop and like get colognes yes. and stuff on her and yeah. She gets like yeah yeah. There's a section with that. Somewhere in this uh, during this, Doctor Milo is. Searching and finding Taylor's craft and making it work to travel through time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the movie they need to make. What was going on with Dr. Milo during this? He, he scoured the sea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he found the parts he needed to replace. Suppose I could t- make this into a time machine. Yeah. 
No, and it's interesting that Caesar. Yeah, Caesar's real name is Milo. He has to go by Caesar to you know keep it secret that he's not Zero Cornelius's yeah. child, which is an interesting aspect. Yeah, yeah, that's actually. Uh... Whereas in in, in, in Rice, he's just he's straight up Caesar. Yeah, that's I I completely didn't really. I forget I forget to think about the um, the the uh, John Connor Kyle Reese logic of Planet of the Apes series apparently. You know, uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. That script was going around for a long time. Like when I lived in LA, that was like a hot script going around. It was just called Caesar. Yeah, it was, that's it was how a, I knew it. It was a remake for of of Conquest, which was interesting. Like, let's remake the fourth movie, and uh, you know, I I kind of knew it was going to be a success. There was such like positive buzz going on about the script, and then it came, you know, came out and people seemed kind of hesitant. But I was like, yeah, I think this is going to be really good. Yeah, we, I, uh, you know, I've heard nothing but good things about it, and they got good people involved, and hey, it was even better than I thought it would be. Yeah, we talked about this off air a bit, but I was just super jazzed. I was like, I was, I, I was in on the idea of like Caesar. Okay, it's like a right. So we're getting the story of how these apes came to power, and new, and then circus is involved, and got the mocap stuff. Like this sound, and then I yeah. remember like the set, all the like the I remember like the whatever embargo dropped, and like all the set release uh, press stuff came out like in a January when the movie was coming out, and like what July of uh, of two thousand of two thousand ten two thousand eleven. Um, yeah. And I got super excited. I'm seeing all this footage, and the ape looked great, and everything's like, "This is." I'm putting some some eggs in the basket on this. Yeah. One. And then, yeah, it just delivered. I was I just was really a, happy. It was the best yeah. movie that summer. It. That's probably I yeah. I that and like what X Men First Class, I guess. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah was, there's those two, and yeah, it just, I just, yeah, it just for some reason I knew it was gonna work because you can't. I mean, Tim Burton's proved like, hey, making the first one again is not gonna work. Um can't really you're not going to make a sequel to Tim Burton's um remaking escape it just no it's not, it doesn't doesn't work without kind of having its predecessor so i mean i guess conquest was, was perfect was to start i know when i heard that that was where they were going with it and everything i was i was kind of dubious i'm like really that's the one they're going to go with next to to remake or whatever but i mean it was incredible it's probably my James, favorite james franco movie <laughs> over yeah. Spring Breakers? Yeah, over I, Spring Breakers I and, mean, and 127 Days. I, see, I, I think he's great in 127 Hours. So. Oh, I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a, the per, the person that thinks Franco's not very good in Rise of the Blood of the Apes. It's my flaw with the movie. Actually. Yeah. Well, he's kind of overshadowed by Circus. Well, circus Lith, and Lithgow's Lith, really good, too. Lithgow's yeah. good. I mean, it's the we can talk about that, but the, I mean, the, the human stuff in Apes in Rise bothers me. It's the reason that I don't love that movie, or I don't overly love that movie i guess I, lo- I really like rise of the planet of the apes quite a bit i think it's a very good movie uh, but there's just stuff about the human plot that gets weaker every time i see it compared to the ape stuff which gets stronger every time i see it i think for me like franco's pretty much franco in every movie i see him in and uh in that one he seemed like it fit him most i don't know other uh, maybe pineapple express oh <laughs> there's the lawgiver mm-hmm. well, yeah later played by john houston like how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's one of the weirdest casting thing casting bits in the entire series is John Houston as the lawgiver. It's super in, in a movie that had like Houston's no life, budget. He was trying to control the water, Brandon. Yeah. He was also in the movie the, the Bermuda Triangle near the end of his life. I mean, he really was running out of money there at the end. He was trying to raise money to do a new film, and that's why he was pretty much in you know he's in all these low budget things at the end of his life. 
I guess, yeah, I guess. In Chinatown. Me thinking yeah. of, like, the legendary John Houston in yeah. Battle of the Planet, like, just like an Orson Welles towards the end of his, I mean, he was voicing Unicron. Galvatron, or Unicron. Unicron. <laughs> yeah, Unicron. Yeah. And, uh, and being, and being thought of for Yodorowsky's uh, Dune. Yeah. Oh, as, yeah, long as, as long as they fed him appropriately, we've all seen this. Right. We've all seen that movie now at this point. Yodorowsky's doing that is a good documentary. Oh yeah, oh, I yeah. recommend. Yeah, the Planet this... of the commentary recommends Yodorowsky's. I wish they would just animate those storyboards, right? And make yeah. you know, like we'll the animated storyboard animate. version of that of his Dune. I mean, I would watch that. Yeah. This chase is is hilarious to me. I think yeah. it's so like <laughs> it's so like clunky and weird. Um, with kind of redo it in Burton's with with Heston's like raggedy clothes that he's wearing, <laughs> and like Nate eight era nets are like the least effective thing ever apparently when it comes to Charlton Heston because he cannot stay in a net. And that's uh, not Charlton Heston jumping down. Obviously, <laughs> the guy didn't even have a beard. And, and it makes me question the use of these steps and this whatever this amphitheater is supposed to be. It's like, what is this? Like, what is this set design? Now, later when they have the TV series, I think they did end up using parts of the same city for that because it looks – unless they rebuilt it. I think they rebuilt it because they did not – they didn't – all they used was the amphitheater for um, Beneath. Hmm. That's the only time – because every time – because Franciscus goes into Zira and Cornelius's home, but you never see the outside of it, and then they have a speech – part at the amphitheater and there's a little protest they run into on a road but they're really clever with making you think that you see this city again but you don't mm. there's a butt again yeah when um when um Heslin taylor runs over the camera like that and it kind of follows him that's that's my um battle of algiers moment that's what i think of when i see that shot it's like oh now we're down and gritty in the apes town <laughs> <laughs> oh here comes some creepy stuff <laughs> Like I would, yeah, ex- yes, very much. This is like House of Wax. Why did uh, no one build a rail? That's what I'm wondering. It, well, apes climb everything. Why that's, that's true. <laughs> they, they, they run. There's they run no OSHA on the Planet of the Apes. They probably don't even yeah. use those stairs half the time. They probably just climb up. The rails just get in the way. Completely bedrock. That's everything I see in this every time. <laughs> <laughs> it does look like bedrock. But I am convinced that Franklin Shafter, like he's like, that's my Battle of Algiers moment right there. <laughs> just put it down in the middle. Hold still. And then Freed can, still. Freed can try to one up Planet of the Apes later on. When with uh, French with French connections, it's like I'll make it pretty. <laughs> I'll show I'm you. I'm sure that's what he was thinking too. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first thing in Freedkin's mind. You know, this is creepy. It is so creepy. Rated G. They just stuffed him. He just died. And yeah, it is like a. It is him standing still. That that makes it more eerie, actually, the fact that it's like not a model, but it's just the actual guy, because <laughs> they couldn't do a model for. Now injuring his throat more helps him end up being able to talk. Yeah. No, but after his throat healed, and it's actually better and stronger and faster than before. <laughs> throat spit faster, by the way. That's true. The score is great. Yep. Yeah, zoom in on the teeth. I'm really hoping for like a trail of alligators for Taylor to run over at some point to escape all this. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not Roger Moore. Come on. I think that's one of my earliest Bond memories, by the way. Live and Let Die. Him running over the alligators, which I love. I, I think that's awesome. Always, every special that they had on Bond, where they they would that was one of the the stunts they would always go over because there was like. When the guy originally ran it, like one of the alligators snapped at his leg but barely missed or something, they always show that like mm-hmm. outtake. 
Here it comes. I like that ape ingenuity right there where they, like, put the net on him and then all four of them jump off the other side. I think that's Aha, uh-huh. right. if one one net doesn't work, try nine more times. Exactly. <laughs> There's the line. Beautiful. I just took a bath. What's amazing about Rise of the Planet of the Apes is that they knew how to use that line. Yes, by, they were by, terrible in Tim Burton's. They, oh my god, we don't, don't, we don't need to talk about the, the, the line used in Tim Burton's, but in Rise, when, when Draco Malfoy is like, get your hands off me, it could seem like a cheesy like way to do it, but then Caesar immediately says no, and that, like, that settles you down from like recap, like, what did, I, did I just hear that line? And then you're, you're automatically like, stifled by the fact that, oh, the ape just talked. I forgot that they would do that eventually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, if I remember correctly, in the Burton version, didn't they say, get your paws off me, damn dirty human? Yes. Didn't they yes, switch it really around? Okay, 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 yeah, yeah, okay. Then, yeah. They, then they looked at the camera, pointed, and winked. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, when, yeah the, the, the glorious thing of Rise of the Planet of the Apes is like you forgot everything these movies were. Watching yeah. that one, it was so compelling that I mean, when Caesar spoke and said no, it was like whoa. And at the end, when he said Caesar is home, you're like, holy crap! And you're like, oh wait, yeah, these are movies where apes talk. Yeah, and they actually look like apes too. I mean, yeah, we talked before about how these look like mutated humans or whatever. They actually were more, much more animalistic. And, yeah, you know, again, I credit Andy Circus with that for sure. Yeah, and yeah, you're not, you're just not expecting. this like, oh yeah, that's they're talking, <laughs> they're standing and everything too. Yeah. The madhouse thing, I like that. But, you know, I think, you know, I don't have a problem with, like, stuff with Rise of the Planet Apes stuff because there's such a distance between um, this movie and Rise that, you know, so much has changed in filmmaking culture and so much, you know, styles, pacing, effects and stuff that you can you can make a respectable reboot, remake, and, and have them coexist without... Huge comparisons all the time. I, yeah, I agree. You can see this movie and see where okay, I can see where you know, could do modern stuff. But if you remake something that's like maybe even twenty years old, it's still almost too soon. And you're picking properties that already have stuff that's locked down and not. So it's a Mark Webb. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, what, where where, up, where do you draw the line with the reboot, though? You know. Yeah. But I mean, we're I, it's. I'm so happy about um, Shane Black with the new Predator saying, no, 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 this is not a reboot. I am not restarting this universe. I want to play in it some more. And because it feels like every time they get in a corner, they just reboot. And I always like seeing how they work their way out of sequels. Like, I don't even know how you'd reboot Predator. Like, you can't get rid of that design. Like, I, I, don't, know yeah. what, I don't know what the idea would be at that point. Straight up well, remake I mean, of Predator 2. I, yeah. I, I'll do it the way they want to do it. Do it in New York. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you don't. I mean, the Predator, the way the Predator series is like a reboot's worthless because all of them kind of stand on their own. Yeah, they're all. Yeah, exactly. So why, they, they, none like, of them connect to each other beyond right. loose, there's a, loose some drop lines in two that yeah. relate to one. But aside from that, Predator Two, you can see it as your first Predator movie and have no problem jumping in or anything. Same with Predators. They're, I mean, they're all kind of progress the story of the predator but they're all standalone and you know kind of reboots in their own right what if they just went like the texas chainsaw 3d route and did predator 3d so it's like technically a second sequel to the first movie 
in 3D, and it's just very confusing. <laughs> there you go. Well, Texas Chainsaw, they just remade the first movie a bunch. Or Jaws. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, with Texas Chainsaw 3D, where it's yeah. technically a sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> this is the seventh film in the franchise, but follows the first film, so it's kind of the second. You know how, like, crazy my mind went when they, like, on the, because just somebody messed up on the next weekend when they were like, we've greenlit Texas Chainsaw 4 because they couldn't wrap their minds around what happened with putting 3D at the end of the title for Texas Chainsaw 3D. Yes. That, that just, like, my, my, my eyes spun as if it was, like, a slot machine and, like, question marks came up when they stopped. <laughs> well, they like, read- they they greenlit that back in 1994. <laughs> we know this. Oh my god! I'm glad he's talking now. This is where I calm down with this movie, <laughs> which fortunately has like See, another I, hour. I don't mind. I don't mind him not being able to talk because we're learning more about the apes. No, it's not a matter of it's, it's not a matter of minding or finding flaw in the movie. It's just my. My my natural emotions that come from the situation that Taylor's in become far too relatable. Where I'm like, I'm really frustrated, just like he is. It makes me just irritated. Not that it diminishes the quality of said movie or my thoughts on said movie. It's just like that's how I'm coming at it from an emotional level at that point. So now I'm just dealing with Taylor watching stubborn people, stubborn apes, <laughs> or mainly stubborn Doctor Zayas. Not um, listen. While Taylor's man boob hangs out and he has to conceal his modesty again. Who is this Moses? <laughs> that Heston yeah. man ass. More Heston butt. Heston butt, yeah. That look he gives, dude, is like, alright. What's the overall goal of this tribunal? Like, what will, will, will be the end game of this? All three of them look like Paul Williams. Yeah. <laughs> I think. I mean, the goal is to get Taylor to have a lobotomy, probably. I guess so. That's... Or to cut him up to find out why he can talk and the others yeah. can't. So they can, for the, for the orangutans, they could stop him. Right there. Well, yeah, I mean, he goes, he's an affront to their religion. He's, yeah. he's, I mean, they have that whole monologue where, you know, beware man, the beast, he will bring you down, he will, you know, he will sow his evil and iniquity within you, yada, 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 or whatever. Yeah, that's where it works as a 70s sci-fi movie that has just big ideas being put into a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in space, Brant, hi- uh, Brant is in cryo sleep, coming after Taylor. Yeah. Something I like about the box set that I have um, for Planet of the, the Planet of the Apes series is that it has a whole timeline of everything within the uh, within yeah. the box. It, it details. So it's, uh, it's James Whitmore as the uh, president there. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the box set details like everything based on the movies of a timeline that has helpful years and when everything. Where do happens. they where do they place uh, conquest following escape? Because there's like a there's a fan debacle over how many years that comes after. Because there's either twenty seven years after it or twelve. I have to go pick it up from the other room to tell you. I'll let you know later, I guess. But I don't know offhand. So no conquest for me that that one really took to me because I think at my age like 
one of the darkest you know, normal movies that wasn't like horror or something I had seen was like Empire Strikes Back, and then I go to Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and it's like holy crap! Like I couldn't, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, and and with the ending was kind of surprising to me because I kind of was on Caesar's side because the humans are pretty, pretty bad people in that movie the way they treat apes. So I kind of figured, I thought maybe Caesar would fail, because his parents failed at the end of the third one, and, and every movie ended with failure. Mm-hmm. And to see him actually, you know, succeed and stuff, that was a shock. And to see the humans, like, you know, lose was even bigger. And just how the the scenery, the way it's shot with all the fire in the background and this, like, hollow, empty, lifeless kind of city the hands of the apes was just something else like i i just can't place how like that took me and i i really like that movie because of the trip it took me on now everything's got to be dark and gritty and stuff like that but at the time i mean it fit the 70s vibe but movies like this didn't take that angle Mm -hmm. the thing that kind of bothered me about that movie though maybe it's just because i haven't seen it in a long time if i watched it again it would kind of it would be wouldn't be a problem was how the the apes were used as you know basically slave labor yeah and how yeah, that because, all came about, I was just kind of like, "Hubba wow!" Like, where did that come well, from? You know, they got the something wiped out cats and dogs. The previous people, owners of slave yeah, labor. Yeah, and, right. and, well, and people took apes in as pets, but then they they learned that apes learned really fast and could do household chores and stuff, and it sort of led to this sort of slavery type thing where they were, you know, taking the place of janitors and, right. and and things like that, and that's where, you know, things started. Apes didn't know any better, but then Caesar, who was in the circus and was living this other life raised by Ricardo Maltaban, um, yep. got, you know, for his first trip into the city and witnessed all this and started seeing this turnaround. And they, Ricardo Maltaban ends up sacrificing himself at the hands of the humans because of, you know, them wanting to get to Caesar so bad. And right. uh, that's when he kind of loses his faith in all the humanity and begins teaching all the apes. And you know, you think of you, you look at the idea of apes being used as servants, and that's almost something that you can see crazy rich people doing at some yeah. in like a re, in a plausible reality. <laughs> We're like, yeah, yeah. I just I guess servants. when I saw it as a kid, I didn't, didn't just it just didn't jive. With and that one's got a crazy sense of style too that I like. That yeah, yeah, I do like mm-hmm. the the, kinda, sti- the kinda style been... the styles of 1991. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's kind of yeah 19. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, it, it, it's kind of very. I think each of these apes movies had like sort of their own influence on the future of films, like stylistically have been taken. Because there's stuff with like like Battle for the Planet of the Apes. I feel like there's a lot of like Mad Max seeds in the style of the mutants in that movie. I think right. Escape's the only one that's you know taking away from what the style of the times were. Just yeah, it, it was just yeah. it was just seventies. I mean yeah. that's that's about all. You, I mean they had there that's the only one lacking in the unique style but it's one of the better movies i'm looking at the um the ratings for each one um rotten tomato wise and planet the battle has a horrible one i think there's only two fresh ones yeah escape in the first one it's escape and planet yeah planet has like 89 beneath has 41 escape has 78 people liked escape apparently and conquest is 44 and then battle is 38 like well like i said forever the escape was the popular one yeah um but i also think you know some of those, you know, people who reviewed them back then may not be as harsh on them now. Sure, yeah. I, I think Beneath that. Beneath has gained in popularity in it since the time it's been it's been out. Um, and 
I really think Battle needs to look back over to understand the the situation with which it was made and that it still has some of the, a lot of its own unique themes with the Planet of the Apes and I think it's still somewhat of a satisfying conclusion even if it is one of the weaker films. I don't think it's as bad as that Rotten Tomato critic rating. Uh, the the fan you know, audience ratings on old movies I, I don't take too seriously on mm-hmm. something like Rotten Tomatoes because you get some eight year old twelve year old that doesn't can't understand how to watch a you know vintage film. This is Probably freaky eyes. stuff too. This just seeing him you know have a giant <laughs> bottomized yeah. section of his head. And it looks good. It doesn't look like some huge hunk of plaster put on his head to make it look like that. Oh, got the nets. Yeah. Yep. First net success. Bonus. Beat these guys back into submission, by the way. <laughs> I agree with you on the look of Conquest, though. It has that, like, 70s futurist look where yeah, you know, stuff the entire like future looks and like and an I office think... complex. And, yeah, um, and it's, it but it's, like, lifeless. Cool and it's it's cool-looking, but it's, like, really hollow. And, like, mm-hmm. the, the police state kind of look of it. And, uh, right. and I think, like, something like The Hunger Games really takes from that, too. Like, is this, modern day. Is this the last we see of Landon, by the way? I think so. I think that's the last time we see him, right? Yeah, we just see him for that effect. Like, because yeah. he's he's been looking for him in this whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we find him, and it's like all your friends are gone. Good point about the Hunger Games, by the way, in terms of kind of taking futurist ideas for fashion sense, and that's yeah, that's something I think those movies do well. Oh yeah, I love the, the they're. The, I'm a fan of those movies where, in general, but yeah. Oh yeah, I, yeah, I, I really like them too. And I, one thing that you know made me like them even more was where they were borrowing their sense of style for science fiction from. Yeah, which was really, was super cool because something like like the Apple too. I, Jim, you like that movie, right? Oh yeah, you're a big fan. Yeah, that kind favorites. of <laughs> that kind of takes that to another level. That sort of state that Conquest has. That's something. I mean, oh, yeah. not to go too far into. Hunger Games, but that is something I like in general about that series. It feels it has a lot of 70s sci-fi in it. Like it has big ideas wrapped around a main concept with this kind of futurist look at the society that is fitting of movies of the 70s. It's also, you know, dark and violent. That's And it's really something we need right now to take from something like that because a lot of the sci-fi in big budget things tends to just blend together and look the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Roddy McDowell, I mean, he, you know, this was like, he was stuck with this. This was like his, what he's most known for. There's Fright Night, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he his real claim to fame is as a child actor in National Velvet and uh, the Flicka yeah. series and stuff. But, yeah, as an adult, this is definitely what he's best known for. Yeah. And he, uh, when I, I, I first, I didn't see any of the sequels till they aired on um, Sci-Fi Channel, and he hosted them. Yeah. And it was like botting his Fright Night character. Yes, yeah, very much so. He came full circle. Um, I didn't, I think he died shortly after those. Um, but yeah, I like the see no evil, hear no evil nonsense that these guys are doing. Yes, <laughs> it's a good image. It is. Uh, it's, it's obvious. It's, it's on the nose. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, yeah, right. Make that like. I, I love how they, you know, would show them with his tidbits and stuff like that. You don't get a lot of that with movies on television or anything anymore, unless you're watching Turner Classic Movies. Yeah, 
And also on the the sets, the Blu-ray, at least the Blu-rays, they have um, Conquest in an unrated cut. Yes, that and, that mm-hmm. and uh, Battle. And Battle is extended. Exte- right? Okay, extended yeah. version, yeah. Wow. I think Battle, they threw some TV scenes in and re-edited things to make a little more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the TV series, I think, I, I remember watching that quite a bit when I was a kid. I think it was on... <laughs> Uh, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, it was on either the same day or maybe even the same channel as uh, the $6 million man Bionic woman pairing. Okay. Um, it might have been the same night of the week, if I remember correctly. This is a long time ago. I was very, very small. But then I remember uh, seeing in the 80s, they had taken like several of those episodes from the TV shows and cut them into like made-for-TV movie-length uh, movies with like, you know, Return to the Refuge of the Planet of the Apes. or You know what I mean? Just like every conceivable permutation of Planet of the Apes possible um, to make to make them into like hour and a half long TV movies. Well, it's like, because sometimes like with the sci-fi, with the franchise opportunities, they went to TV. Like Logan's Run got a television series. It didn't get a sequel, but it got a television series, right? Right. Yeah. It's about a bunch of teenagers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Stardog star dog Gregory Harrison ended up being on Trapper John MD and a bunch of other mm-hmm. TV in the 70s. Do you know why you're here in the principal's office, Taylor? <laughs> Do you know what you did? I like that Zayas has, like, um, kind of nighttime clothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's casual orangutan. Like, this is the equivalent of a smoking jacket. He's, like, hefnering out right now. No, there's his orange coat hanging up behind Taylor. Yeah, yeah. I've got a hot date with an I.I. in about a half hour, so i got to wrap this up. <laughs> I like how he's smoking, too. That's awesome. <laughs> I want to see the process of, like, apes making cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of... One thing I like in, you know, battle is the full circle of the lawgiver who we see here in statue form all over the place and in the next one and then in the final one he's narrating yeah i gotta tell you if you like the franchise a whole lot then boom has put out a, a whole bunch of really good comics uh in the planet of the apes canon as well some really good stuff um the planet of the apes the, the um the adjectiveless planet of the apes comic for a long time was almost like game of thrones with apes it's wow. a really good gabriel hardman art um and then the author is escaping me at the moment. I'll have to look it up. But they they did really they did really well. Uh, they did uh, write with the franchise for sure in a lot of their comic adaptations. I've heard that. I never read the comics, but I'm aware that they you know are quite popular and like well regarded. Carlos Gagnon. There mm. we go. That's that's the name of the artist. It's amazing because not only does he draw humans really well, but also um, but also the apes you know very expressively and very well. So, but yeah, if if you're a fan of the franchise, I definitely seek out the the comics from Boom. See, don't, this is why listeners love these commentaries. Look at how much info we're packing in. We have these com- this comic discussion coming in. This is the- it's it's. When do I, what what other opportunity do I really have to showcase all this useless information? Exactly. That I yes. away in my head. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 just blessed that I have some outlet for it, or I'd probably explode. So. I'm I'm just honored to like, share my passion for this with you guys and have great conversations with people who also you know know a lot about this stuff and bounce back off one another i mean it's fun to do we just have to be recording it basically that's that's what that's the difference (laughs) yeah 
um, wasn't the original plan for the sequel um, to kind of reverse the fish out of water where Taylor has like met with other humans and started his own colony and um, an ape gets, you know, picked up in there and then it ends up in a big fight between the humans and the apes, a big war. But Heston wasn't down for doing much in the sequel, so they kind of scrapped hmm. the idea. I, that, I mean, that seems like certainly a possibility that I could have done. But I, yeah, I am aware that Heston wasn't really like, I need to play Taylor again. Ah. He, he said <laughs> he, his, his, his one condition on coming back was a minimal shooting and kill me dead. Like, I no way I'm coming back. Oh, he pulled a, uh, he pulled a Ripley, huh? Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, he gets an and in the credits too. He's at the very end and Charlton Heston as Taylor, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And he made, yeah. And, not even the bomb could end the series, but he never came back. Because in Escape is shortly after his rocket had taken off when they landed in the seventies, right? Yes, we could talk about that a bit too. Beneath ending, which is just one of the it's one of the craziest endings to a science fiction G-rated movie you'll ever see. Let alone one that you wouldn't think would you know. <laughs> allow a series to keep going, yet it did. <laughs> it did, yeah. It, it, was, it was the most <laughs> finite ending that three films followed it. Yeah. Normally, nuclear annihilation would be a damper on your franchise, but no, not this time. Yeah, it, it's they, just, it, it was like a craziest, a weird. It just, ah, oh, so it's it's glorious. Where the music, it that music will haunt me till I die. <laughs> that music, uh, oh, we show our true faces to the almighty bomb. No, I mean, as a kid who had to go to Catholic school and go to church uh, every day before class, um, it, it, ha- it resonated with me even yeah. to this day. I, I rewound class. it. I, I couldn't believe what I just saw. I wanted to make sure that that was what happened. Like, what is what does Taylor say? What's his last line, you know? So there's some narration after that, which it's is also... some over dramatic, like Charlton Heston totally. <laughs> do this. Yeah, basically it is, um, but it's 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 it sticks with you just in terms of like him pressing that button then, and then yeah. like the narration that they, at that point it, it's like blah blah, and a green insignificant planet is now dead. Like it's just like, yeah. it's like wow. There's like yeah the narration like yeah, and he's sitting there holding like a gashing gunshot wound yeah. right on his chest crawling over and just hits the like it's not how it's supposed to end like it looks like he falls there, down but... dead on the button if i remember correctly like yeah. you said it's been a little while it's it's his intent to get it but yeah he's he's dying as he gets over there because franciscus tries to get over and he gets, like i said he gets shot in the head with a blood splatter coming out the back rated g Rated G, everybody. Go, it's like but a, Cornelius it's... Or, or Caesar kills a guy at the end of Conquest, and no, no, you better change that to at least get a PG. It takes the old uh, to live or die, to live and die in LA approach, just murdering yes. your lead character. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it just, it just, there's, you know, they introduce us to these mutants who, seconds before this, reveal their peel their faces off, mm-hmm. and they're worshiping the nuke. There, it's oh man, it's just so much craziness. Like lots of great aesthetics, the you know sets, costuming, just ideas going around. That season, I think it was season nine when Mystery Science Theater came back to the Sci-Fi Channel. 
and they, they had a, a, yes. a whole series of uh, of interstitials making fun of the Planet of the Apes movies, where uh, Pearl Forrester was the lawgiver, and they had Professor <laughs> right. Bobo, and they had to keep keep from putting out diapers and riding unicycles because that's how they felt free. <laughs> Those were the main characters for a couple seasons because they um, yeah. had the daughter as the the main villain, and yeah, all her cohorts <laughs> were Planet of the Apes right, characters. Right. I like this um this kind of day for night shooting that they're doing right now. It's supposed to be nighttime, and they're just kind of like, eh, we'll, we'll dim it, and we'll make it seem like it's night. <laughs> now, speaking of nighttime, the first like three quarters of Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes is all night. Oh, oh yeah, it's so dull and boring. Yeah, like it's just night, night, night. Like it's incredible. I, I was surprised. It's like he has like big fish after, but yeah, Planet of the Apes is like. It, it was such a weird like change up for me as a person that's grown up watching Tim Burton movies. It's where it just started, you know. There's the Tim Burton of the late '80s and in '90s, and then there's it's Tim Burton from before Sleepy Hollow and after Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it, yeah, and I mean, again, I'll I'll give big I'll give him Big Fish, but yes, and even and Sweeney Todd as well. I mean, it's just they they feel like movies that. That someone aping Tim Burton would do it. It just happens to be him. As someone aping to... him? Oh. Someone aping him. Oh, Aaron. I just, I feel like, they're, they're, <laughs> look, with Tim Burton, there are some ideas I think he really falls in love with, and there are just some ideas he thinks sound fun. And and I think the Planet of the Apes falls into the latter of that category. He really, I mean, he obviously had a real affection for like Vincent Price and that kind of thing. You see that in Scissor Hands and things like that. But well, I mean, I, I think mean, I think with, well, I think with Planet of the Apes and and you know Dark Shadows and some of his other times where he stepped in to try to you know uh, put his stamp or imprimatur on franchises, he's kind of missed the mark. Planet of the Apes, but, I, guess, uh, I could see as something it's where not... he, I, I could see Planet of the Apes as something where he was given that opportunity. And because of his association with that movie, maybe kind of the, the Rod Serling aspect, it's like, yeah, all right, I could do my spin on this, but yeah, not something he's entirely passionate about compared to other movies in his canon right. up to that point. Well, I just think it, the novelty of, of his take on things has just worn off. Because it's, it's like, what, Tim Burton's blah. Tim Burton's this. And it's not, like, original stuff. It's just adapted things, which he's, you know, kind of always had that. But there's, you know, far less Edward Scissorhands... Mars Attacks now is it's just I, I I don't know if it's worn off it's just it doesn't feel as creative or fresh like, oh, yeah, exa- yeah yeah that's uh, that's what I say the novelty of like ooh Tim Burton's doing this is well, not there it's like well, no, oh. I mean I what well, yeah yeah I think we're attacking things at the same the same point just from different yeah. angles I mean it, it I feel like if I was if I saw a Tim Burton movie that his aesthetic doesn't isn't something that I'm tired of it's just I don't think I've seen it in the freshest of ways in a long time. Right. Right. I, I still haven't seen Alice in Wonderland because I just didn't care. You don't need to. I haven't, I haven't either, actually. Don't worry about that. I just didn't care. I like, Swe- I like Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd's solid. It yeah. was solid, but, I mean, yeah, just Alice in Wonderland, I just didn't care. It took me forever to see Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because I just I didn't care. Yeah, I that's another that one. Right? Was on cable, I, I think. just don't care. Now, all this said, I mean, Big Eyes, this movie coming up this year, it's supposed to be really good. Like, yeah. it's getting a lot of good buzz, a lot of, like, Oscar buzz. So. Yeah, it's about the for paintings something. and stuff, right? Yeah, 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 yes. Anyway, back to Planet of the Apes, when these okay. damn scarecrows. Boy, this is so ironic seeing Linda Harrison here in light of all of her later work. <laughs> what is, uh, what's her career consist of after these Apes movies? Nothing. Yeah. Just being sarcastic. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> 
She was in Dunstan Checks In, classic eight movie. And the, uh, the cocoons. Can we talk about some of the other apes directors a bit? Sure. Like, um, the fourth and fifth one are John Lee, Th- or Jay Lee Thompson, and he did Guns of Navarone and Cape Fear, the original Cape Fear? The original Cape Fear, yeah. Yeah, he he did also did uh, Death Wish Four. <laughs> if people have only seen Cape Fear of De Niro and Nick Nolte, watch the original Cape Fear because that movie's scary. Yeah, Robert <laughs> Mitchum is is awesome. Yeah, that is a that is a good movie. Make it a double feature with Out of the Past. And you got you got <laughs> you got the eyebrows and Peckham and and um and uh, Mitchum's voice. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> that's a, that's a movie. He also yeah, did, I don't know if he's more threatening in that or in Night of the Hunter. Night of the, I, Night of the Hunter. He's pretty terrifying in Night of the Hunter. <laughs> so he, he also uh, did a... Uh, Jaylee Thompson did a personal favor of mine, Happy Birthday to Me. Yeah. Which has a crazy ending. Um, but yeah, he's... Long time... A lot of stuff from him. He alive? Nope, not anymore. Died in 2002. Mm-hmm. What else? Who else we got? Don Taylor, who did Escape, Planet of the Apes. Did Escape. He was, I think, mainly a TV director. Yeah. Yeah, same it's with kind of there. It's kind of there in his uh, essay. Oh, he did Damien the Omen, too. That's right, after this. He was an actor, also. Oh, yeah, that's right. They got him because of um, they wanted him to inject comedy into it. Uh, Ted Post is pretty much a TV director as well. He did Twilight Zone, um... All kind of the Rifleman, a lot of uh, 60s uh, TV. Him and uh, Eastwood liked him as a director, but I think during Magnum Force they had a falling out. He did direct so, Good Guys Wear Black, one of the early Chuck Norris, if not the first or on Chuck Norris movies. So. What's Rupert Wyatt up to now that he's not doing Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Moving on to the next franchise. They call it the Gambler. You think Rupert Wyatt would have had like the pick of the litter after that? Right after Rise's success. I'm yeah. I'm. Curious. He did the pilot of Turn. He did the pilot of Turn. I did notice that too when I saw that that uh that first episode. It's like oh yeah. He'd... I like Chuck Heston's like finally a shave ah. <laughs> and the reaction to it where he you know if you look uglier or, or, or less intelligent right you must just stay away from the forbidden zone right now at this time Dr. Milo is like aha time travel I've discovered it <laughs> I cannot wait to tell Cornelius and Zero when they get back. I'm curious how Rupert Wire got Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Like, he came from nothing. Was there anybody else attached to that before? I'm sure there was. I'm sure there was. I just, you know... I like how this movie doesn't really have a giant action scene at the end, by the way. Like, it has some shooting in it, but it's like it's not focused on, as opposed to the Tim Burton remake, it's not focused on a, you know, a, a battle of the Planet of the Apes. Like, it, it, yeah. there's, 
there's people, you know, there's a standoff that occurs and, you know, some shots fired, but it's not about, like, Chuck Heston getting a group of people together to, like, fight this horrible band of apes or whatnot. They basically just have a conversation. It's a dramatic standoff, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. And it doesn't need it. It's, it's just not. No, yeah, the movie's smarter than that. Like, the movie. Yeah, there's <laughs> no situation where he's going to win against all the apes. It's mm-hmm. just. Although, if he did shoot Dr. Zayas in the head, I'd probably, like, cheer or something. (laughs) (laughs) I don't see anything about other directors for... Dr. Zayas does end up dying, so... Well, yeah, so... I'd say my my most annoying ape is uh, General Aldo from Battle. My gosh. Oh, yeah, Claude Akins. Yeah, Yeah. just, oh. Yeah, yeah, he's... Annoys me. He carried over into the TV series, actually. As the character, or just the... As, I know yeah, a lot of the character. actors played different people. And no, Austin, Austin Stoker is in that movie, too, as a human. From uh, Assault on Precinct 13, and I think he did a voice in the cartoon as well. I forgot Rise lost Best Visual Effects to Hugo, which... I'll allow, because Hugo is my favorite movie of that year, but still. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to, to keep with today's announcement of the the Blu-ray set of the 1960s Batman, which is awesome, mm-hmm. um, King Tut was in Beneath Planet of the Apes. Well, uh, yeah, he was uh, Victor Bono. He was the, one of the main main mutants. But, I mean, in this scene right here, you've got Roddy McDowell played the bookworm yes. in the original Batman right. TV series. And, uh, and, and, uh, Dr. Zayas was also, he was, um, oh crap. Now I'm going to have to look it up. Oh my God. He was also on the Batman 66 uh, series as a villain. I just saw him about a couple months ago. Find it. <sighs> Batman, Batman, found it. Uh, Roddy McDowell. He's bookworm. Roddy McDowell was, yeah, Roddy McDowell was a bookworm, but Maurice. Um, oh, Maurice, oh, sorry, you're looking at Maurice. Um, Maurice Evans. Um, Maurice Evans was, was one as well. Yeah, I think the, a... the Pied Piper or the Trickster or something like that. Oh my God. That's gonna bug me. I gotta really look into it. Gonna bug me too. You stay out here, son. Still, you know, under the assumption that we're on a different planet, I do like seeing the beaches. You know, because those high cliffs right there, kind of just just the way this movie's constructed. I mean, it just works. I like the look of the the area they got here with the planks and yeah the puzzler ah uh, the puzzler uh, oh, I mean, it was puzzler. some sort of knockoff of the riddler yeah, yeah we can't get the riddler this week was it during gorshin's hiatus <laughs> i'm sure probably season two he appeared they... on man from uncle in the same year so oh. yeah i remember Roddy mcdowell baking the dynamic duo in a giant cookbook <laughs> How come those villains weren't in the Nolan verse? <laughs> <laughs> that hatchery. Like I was hoping the minstrel would show up. Chef. Minstrel get Calendar Man in there too. Why not? They the minstrel and the archer who looked. <laughs> uh, the worst was Louis the Lilac. Oh. Or Milton Berle was Louis Milton the Lilac. Bur- yeah. Or uh, Minerva. I like to think that the Batman producers like we got Burl! and they like, proceeded to create some kind of crazy character for him. Yeah. And then I also remember the one where they went after Phineas Fogg, and they went. They didn't go to London. They went to Londinium, if I remember correctly, because I, I guess Gotham City, you know, is New York. And I guess yeah. Londinium would be London. 
these um these reveals and this, by the way we're talking about Planet of the Apes. Um, this is this re- these reveals that Doctor Zeus has been um you know known about all this stuff and has bones collected and has like <laughs> it just makes me hate Zeus more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I do like these kind of twists. I like thinking of this as a movie that you're seeing for the first time and you know not knowing the Earth twist. Like it is neat to see like. Where is this going? Like, I'm sure people, the audience is like, their minds are stirring right now about like, what's happening? Like, where is this movie going at this point? Where we're out of, we're out of Ape Town and we're getting into the Forbidden Zone, which is called the Forbidden Zone, so it makes that automatically intriguing. It's like, what's the end game in this movie? Like, what's yeah, gonna happen? Exactly. So I, I like Mad Men a couple seasons ago when Don Draper went and saw this in the theater with his son. With his son, and I think it had the perfect reaction with his look on his face when the twist happened at the end. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to sit and watch the movie again in the theater. I thought it was great. I love the way Mad Men handles that kind of pop culture stuff. That's just always fascinating to me. It's not in your face. It's, it, yeah. It's just natural. And like, whereas Masters of Sex is a similar show, but I think they try to make a point to showcase some of that stuff rather than just naturally weave it in. I, yeah, I mean, I'm excited for season two just because I think it will be able to hammer out some of the kinks of things that didn't work as well in that show, which is, I think, a yeah. very good show. I really like that. Oh, no, it is good. Yeah. But, I, mean, I am excited because, you know, second season of these dramas tend to, to work better with what they know they can do well. So. Yeah, because they filmed that whole first season without any kind of public reaction or exactly. critical analysis. Yeah. It's something I've been meaning to watch. I, I do like Michael Sheen quite a bit. Michael Sheen, Lizzie Kaplan's great in the show. Yeah, I mean, she's it's, usually really good, too. Uh, what's his name? Um... D'Agostino really impressed me. I, I'd seen him in things before where I was like, eh, but he was actually pretty he's pretty good in that. Uh, Bo Bridges and Allison Janney. They're, they're, I mean, You're a huge Bo Bridges fan too, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, in that show, I liked him quite a bit. Yeah. I was surprised how much I liked Bo Bridges in that show. I don't have anything against me. It's just like, I don't care <laughs> generally you, when I You see don't him. see what the big deal is. <laughs> Like, where's Jeff? John <laughs> Belushi is to Jim Belushi as Jeff Bridges is to Bo Bridges. There you go. And we all RIP Miss Lloyd. What's Zira playing with? Or Zira. What's uh, Nova, Nova playing the with? The baby is doll. Is it just a doll? A baby, baby doll. I thought it was creepy like a doll. skull for a second. I was like, what's happening back there? You think this would be the tip off, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but, there are humans on this planet, so I mean, it's. Conceivable, they had ceramic technology and knew how to make plastics. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's obvious. It's just layering in ideas. Like, what's going on? But I mean, this whole movie, you just—I mean, for someone who saw it, you know, you know, with un, unspoiled or unknowing the, the of what's going to happen, you still just—they're not on Earth. It's called Planet of the Apes. So you're you're watching right. a movie about a guy landing on a planet full of apes. Yeah, it just that's such a. You get all these movies that have these giant twists, like Empire and this and uh, whatever else that I can't think of right offhand at this very moment. Soil and Green, and you wonder like what how those reactions play sometimes. It's like w- what it is to have that for the first time and not have you know years of pop culture jokes and whatnot giving you hints, even if you didn't know the exact thing, and just have this kind of first oh, reveal yeah. in an era where you don't have these kind of twists happen all the time. Did you know who Kaiser Soze was? I mean, I hadn't seen Usual Suspects before I saw, like, a ton of things that spoofed the him dropping the coffee cup in slow motion, but I didn't know who Kaiser Soze was necessarily. So, like, the twi- like I still, the twist was maintained for me, but the the kind of reveal of it was certainly something I was familiar with, I guess. 
I, I think it's on the the repeat viewings like like this. You you watch and you go, how did I not think this? Because mm-hmm. it's there, the clues right. are given to you, but it, it doesn't count when you're watching it the second time and you know it's coming. It's when you you know. You're I remember being a young enough kid that I had to have my dad explain it to me. You know, I was like, well, why is the Statue of Liberty there? And he's like, because it was Earth the whole time. And then my mind was blown. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I was very small when I first saw this. Uh-huh. Yeah. You better be careful. These guys are masters of guerrilla warfare. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm sorry. I tried to keep the eight puns to a minimum, but I couldn't let that one go. We all got yeah. one in, it seems. So. I'm yeah. surprised no one's messed with this. Speaking of those, I, I was thinking today, I was like, I'm surprised no one's ever messed with the logo from Escape from the Planet of the Apes and, and focused on the ape portion of the word escape. Ape of the Seems like a ripe apes. opportunity. Yeah. Ape of the Planet of the Apes. Or just Cape of the Planet of the Apes. You just draw a bunch of capes and all the apes. Yes. That'd be sweet. And speaking uh, of, it's it's a shame we couldn't have Abraham Moa, Moa here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we're right. Yeah. He's monkeying around at work still. Mm-hmm. Um. Even like the Vader twist, like I saw that one because I watched those movies back to back to back in a session that I refer to as the greatest time of my life uh, for the first time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it was last year, and it, like, <laughs> uh, and uh, the <laughs> reaction I had was like, "Well, that's a neat development." Like that's literally how I like thought of seeing Vader as like the twist. It's like, "Well, that's neat." So, like that was like my my four year old like understanding of what just has like, huh. <laughs> that was my first when... ever time of being spoiled ahead of time from a movie because I think it was maybe one or two weeks before the movie was released. I found the Marvel Super Special comic book adaptation okay. on the racks of my local Seven Eleven while I was you know, in the middle of playing Donkey Kong or Popeye or whatever, and um, it had the entire movie like adapted into a comic. And I read the comic ahead of time. I, that was the first time I ever really got spoiled to a major story before going to the um, movie. Do you have that still? That comic. Yeah, I think I have it around here somewhere. Sounds amazing. Well, I think yeah. I had the same reaction as you did, Aaron, when I first saw that, too, because I was at such a young age, it wasn't like, whoa! It was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. But, um, and, and you know, I, I can't exactly remember how, how it felt. Yeah, exactly. When I was Because I was such a young age when I saw it, it, was, it just became something I always knew. And I mean, this is like, because I literally, when I first saw Star Wars, I watched all of them back to back to back like in one sitting it was like i was in vegas i know i was in vegas at my my quote-unquote godmother's house watching these movies and it was like this is just awesome and it's like oh that was a thing and then i remember just being really intrigued by speeder bikes and like that was the end of the day for me it's like oh (laughs) this is the coolest thing ever now like i thought these other things i saw were pretty good but speeder bikes this is speeder bikes were awesome (laughs) it sounds like a really good day yeah yes it was went to medieval times for the first time at excalibur Oh, wow. It was a good weekend for Star Wars. And You're like, this. lightsaber battles to sword battles. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, like, Pat, like I literally remember sitting on the sidewalk of the 7-Eleven drinking a Slurpee next to my bike reading that comic. Hmm. And then trying to convince my friends that, oh, no, this is the movie that's coming out. This is the story of the movie. And they just thought it was another Marvel Star Wars comic. Oh, wow. I remember reading Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Yes, I remember reading that too, and thinking for a long time that was going to be the sequel. Yeah. When I when I was a kid. And though we know that one that went right out of continuity the minute Empire came out. Yep. Kim Hunter's career didn't really go anywhere after Escape from the Planet of the Apes. She was in some stuff, but she she wanted Escape to be her last one. I mean, but even in general. Yeah. And she didn't. Mm-hmm. 
she died of a heart attack too in uh, 2000. She was 79. But like, I mean, she's coming out, like, not coming off, but like early, I mean, her early breakout role is just Streetcar Named Desire, right? So, I mean. Right. Yeah. But like these eight. Thing, another thing, too, I mean, they had, this is really high caliber class, um, class of um, cast for this period, too. Especially for, you know, for science fiction, which at that point really wasn't thought of as, you know, having any of the prestige it does now. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, it was, yeah, it was this film in like 2001 that brought it back. Mm-hmm. And then it started going down a little and then Star Wars brought it back. Yep. Right. Well, just in that, just that blockbuster era of like, let's, yeah. let's do things. <laughs> let's get crazy with it, guys. Like Close Encounters. Actually, is Close Encounters a hit? Was that a hit movie? Yeah, yeah, it was a big hit. Yeah, it, it wasn't it as big times. as Star Wars, but it was big. Yeah, because it came after uh, Jaws, right? Or no, it came after. Did it come it after was Jaws? Or Jaws. Or yeah, it was just follow. It was to after. Jaws. It was just follow up to Jaws. When was forty one? When was nineteen forty one? Right, it was released in several editions. There was a special edition with like added footage that came out. There was yeah, they, they had an alternate. They you're right. I'm retarded. He's gonna be like three hundred three million dollars worldwide. <laughs> so that's a good hit. Yeah, yeah I think. Yeah. Well, I think Close Encounters has been theatrically released like a what lot, three yeah. times, three or yeah. four times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that, I mean, going back to something you were talking about earlier about how we know so much about movies now when they come out. Um, when that movie came out, we knew almost nothing about it. Yeah, that's I mean, the the, the entire ad campaign was just that bright light at the end of the road. You and know? that's I something mean, that. Oops. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I, it's, I was it's saying that that's something contrast. like somebody like J.J. Abrams like strives to recreate, but gets harshly criticized for wanting to do something like that. In this day, day and age of entitlement and wanting, demanding all we you know know everything about the movie before we go in. I, I mean, there's a there's a line there too, though, because I think yeah. something, something like Super Eight it works for that movie because that you just don't like you just shot that and you're like, oh, this movie happened, all right, and then there's yeah. a trailer like that. If cool. you're doing such and such part five, I mean, yeah, when you're doing Star Trek Into Darkness, Into the Fire, I mean, it's um, <laughs> it just it has a different feel where you're like, even me as a not a huge Star Trek fan, I'm thinking. I mean, it's one thing to not want to share too much, but at the same time, it was like, what's really the cause here of not telling you cons in it? Like, what's like... Yeah, what... it would have sold more yeah. tickets, too. Exactly, yeah, I do, I really think that. Like, we're just It wouldn't selling... have made for a better movie, it just, I mean, it probably would have been a better public, you know, bigger Well, well even the reaction to it could have been better, just because... Well, I mean, it was good, though, right? It has, like, a, what, like, an 89 or something on Rotten Tomatoes? Like, it, it, but no, it, the... it, it, yeah. But then the backlash came at it too. Like it's just, yeah, it's a tricky line to walk where you're in this modern age where you're trying to do something that evokes a time period of old. And it's also up to the person at hand. Like I pick and choose what trailers I watch for whatever. I pick and choose what articles I watch Mm -hmm. and whatever. I I almost never watch the early release clips of every of, of movies. Because I don't want to, I, I want to see it in context of what I'm watching. Oh yeah, I never see clips anymore. I see trailers yeah. and teasers and whatnot, and yeah. even yeah. Some... But I mean, but back then, as big as Jaws was, you know, it was Spielberg's follow-up to Jaws. I mean, if that had happened today, after you know somebody making as huge a movie as, as Jaws was back in the day, you know, we would be all over every little bit of information that movie would be out. And, and when Close Encounters came out, 
there was almost, I remember the, I remember the trailer for it. It was like, you know, basically, you know, driving down a road toward that light and they, they gave the definitions of what close encounters of the first and second and then third kind were. Yeah. And that was the trailer, you know, yep. it's a cool trailer. You know, no, no dry fits, no giant lights in the sky, no Truffaut, none of that. And, um, I mean, I, and like you say, you know, they tried to bring that stuff back, but it's just almost impossible. It, it works in like Cloverfield. It worked. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, you know, I think for an original movie, it'll work. But when you're doing right. a franchise reboot remake, I think everybody's like, well, there's no secrets with this anymore. We well, know even, like it teasers for things work too, though. Like the, the, yeah. like Nolan's Batman teasers and whatnot. And even like transformers, that first teaser where they're just on Mars, like they're effective. Mm-hmm. Like they do their job. Right. Fun thing, uh, J. Lee Thompson, who directed the last two Apes films in this, you know, uh, canon, canon series, yeah. um, he was he was considered for Planet of the Apes, um, as was Blake Edwards. For the first one, or for the, for the first one? For the first oh, one. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> Breakfast at Tiffany's and Pink Panthers, Blake Edwards. <laughs> yeah. SOB's Blake Edwards. <laughs> We talked all over this ending, by the way, about not Planet of the Apes, but I mean, here we're, right. we're getting to it now. We're getting to the twist here, which even then, yeah. it's funny how it's revealed. You, you don't really get what's going on. Yeah, for, you're like well, for a couple minutes here. Or, are they gonna like? I thought maybe like there was someone gonna pick them off or something. Yeah, <laughs> like they just told. Or they would just ride off into the sunset. And well, I mean, the way it's set up, yeah, for sure, because you have Zayas like blowing up the like. It's like we'll erase all evidence of any of this ever. Like, for, we'll just pretend this guy. Ne- we'll put. We'll make it a um a, 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 a Simpsons Principal Skinner situation. And just pretend none of this ever happened. He's, yeah. not, he's not Lee Tasman Tasmarian or whatever the name is. <laughs> this never happened. We'll r- wipe it under the rug. The Great Eight buried all this stuff to test our faith. Of course, the next movie just disproves all of that. It's like, whatever. <laughs> We're gone. Yeah. <laughs> As we go deeper into the Forbidden Zone. But, uh... See, so now we get this, where... It's almost... It's like a bait and switch, really, because you have Zayas going back and doing his thing, and whatever, they'll keep doing their thing, and Ted was riding off into the sunset with, with, uh, with, with Nova, and it's like, alright, but now the movie's still going for an extra 30 seconds, and why? And you get this weird shot of something metal here. I don't know what yeah. that is. Like that's that looks weird. And now Heston's angry. Like it's like what's happening? And it, like it's not even it's not like a huge music cue, right? I don't think I'm supposed to be hearing music right now. I'm trying. I can't hear anything. I'm muting it, but I don't recall it being like a like. It's ding! not a dramatic. It's not a dramatic. It's a it's a very subdued. Yeah, compared to something like "No, I am your father," and these I, I think the credits slow motion with, over. I think it. the waves, the sound of the waves, is the credits. Yeah, it is. Yes, it's it is. That's, yeah, yeah. Like, because it's because this is a dark ending. Like, yeah, this is like there's nothing for Taylor. And this, <laughs> and you know, it's funny. This is a great dark ending that you're like, oh, okay, never top that. But I mean, they really get close to this ending with like the next three movies. Yeah, I no, mean, yeah, yeah. Planet of the Apes is not a series about optimism. They, they, yeah. I mean. But I mean, the impact of them all works they do, in different yeah. in different ways. It's is outstanding because you'd never think the sequels would be able to reach this. Even like you would think, let's not even try for that. Let's not even try. But they they do and they succeed. Like even like like battles is maybe the only one that ends mm-hmm. somewhat nicely. <laughs> it, it, it does end nicely, but it does include the the death of a, a child. For sure, yeah. Well, it also yeah. it, its darkness is within the middle of the film because the, I mean the series has to end, but it does end with that stupid statue crying. 
which is just like, okay, yeah. too much. Yeah. Too much. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the last image you get of the cannon, but... Yeah, so... But yeah, I mean, this one, yeah, obviously this, and then the world, they up it in the next one, the world blowing up. And then, he he you know, says, damn you, you blew it up, and then he blows it up in the yeah. next one. Yeah. And, the, and then, you know, we get our lead characters that we like a lot dying, you know, shot down, like gunned down, assassinated, dead, yeah. They can't escape, and then Conquest, humanity falls apart. <laughs> you get that innocent ape baby shot point blank. In the third one. And even Rise of the Planet of the Apes, like, Rise, it's, it's like, the, the the credits incorporate the fact that humanity's dying because of a virus. Like, these aren't yeah. optimistic movies. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting take for these movies. And these are, like, G-rated movies, and for the most part, considered, like, when I was growing up, oh, these are for kids. <laughs> and they're yep. like, yeah, they were for kids when they came out. I mean, there was a yeah. Saturday morning cartoon for a long time. Yeah. I mean, well, not a few seasons, but and I mean, Migos' first line of toys before they made the superheroes were Planet of the Apes toys. I haven't know? seen the cartoon, but is it like Aeon Flux at every end of every episode? Is it like an ape die or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It is the 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 epitome of the um the filmation school of animation. Just really bad and like kind of. A lot of repeated loops of animation, a lot of repeated backgrounds, that kind of thing. Watching two two episodes in a row, you'll probably doze off. Yeah, you'll be done. You'll get the idea, and you'll be you'll you'll have your fill. There's apes named Hannahs, the run of bananas, planet of the apes. I don't know. <laughs> Doctor Zayas, Doctor Zayas. <laughs> oh they, my god! They, yeah, I'm Troy uh, McClure. We haven't even talked about how amazing Planet of the Apes the musical could be if it actually came to reality, because just Jeff Goldblum introducing Phil Hartman to the idea of this made me intrigued, <laughs> which has one of the greatest exchanges of all time, in The Simpsons anyway, where it's like, have you heard, heard a little thing called Planet of the Apes? The planet or the movie? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's Phil Hartman being amazing. That's <laughs> so good. Oh, that God. kills me. Oh, my God, that's funny. Uh, we've reached the end of this movie, guys. Um, just talking yeah. about Planet of the Apes for. I feel we could go another two hours. Well, 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 we'll come back. We'll come <laughs> back. Up and beneath. Let's go. Just <laughs> 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 right here, buddy. <laughs> um, yeah, we won't. We won't be doing that right now. We will be doing another commentary soon. As I've kind of said in the past, I think we're, we're going to just start doing co- a, at least one commentary every month for out now. Uh, which will likely generally involve Brandon and myself, it seems, just because we're always available to do these commentaries. With, uh, you guys love us. Our, our rotating crew, which includes my co-host, Abe. But no, I know next uh, next month, with uh, with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming out, that is the plan for the next commentary, the original 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. So uh, we'll uh, get to that when we get to and that. Of course, if the movie was made before 1985 or so, I'll be there too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we still have one day. We have to do that escape from New York commentary. Escape from New York. Hopefully, for, yeah. I'm hoping for my birthday. That there you go. Great. There we go. We'll see. I just ordered my Snake Plissken action figure, by the way. Nice. Well, if you guys heard about that Funko as part of the reaction line, I'll just hope. Yeah, I mean, with two different versions of Snake, so I'll just assume it's a comic. Excited. Line and try to find it. We still uh, have to finish up the the Evil Dead series. Yeah, we still have to do our Army of Darkness commentary. <laughs> what other franchises do we need to finish out? We have about uh, like twenty Bond movies. Oh yeah, <laughs> we have all the other Bond movies. <laughs> That's our go-to if we need something for one month, and we're like, "What do we do?" Well, Thunderball. We haven't. You know, <laughs> yes. We didn't even do Doctor No. We did what we do from Russia with Love. Um, 
for much with love. We did Moonraker, um, Goldeneye. Oh, see, I wish I'd been on your Moonraker show because I love that one. Goldeneye, Quantum of Solace, Quantum of Solace. Yeah, we did four. We did two great ones and two that are like regarded as not being very good. That was the idea for those. So it's a myth with Moonraker. I like Moonraker the way you like movie. a child who's just like a total C C minus D student. You're just like, you really tried. You know, and you want to pat that movie on the back. That's how I feel about Moonraker anyway. We like we like Moonraker. We do yeah, like Moonraker. Yeah. I've seen but, it way more times than a human should have though. Yeah, there you, yeah, that's the reason. All right, with all that said, let's uh let's wrap this one up here. Uh Jim, where can people find more of your work online? HHWLOD.com is the podcasting network where you can find all manner of pop culture podcasting goodness, including the uh the Jack and Chloe Adventure cast covering uh twenty four Live Another Day. Um, and Bund- Walking Dead TV podcast, uh, Long Box of Doom, Real Heroes, all kinds of stuff. If you're into geeky stuff like movies, TV, comics, television, or video games, check out hhwlod.com. We're bound to have something you'll enjoy. Jim, when's your next uh, 1980s Retropolis coming? Uh, I, I had a big cow emergency here on the farm. I'm hoping to get it out by the end of this week. Awesome. In 1985. Brandon? Uh, my work is at Naptown Nerd, um, naptownnerd.blogspot.com. Uh, I also do Blu-ray reviews and some editorial stuff at whysoblue.com. Um, did, I co-host with Aaron the Jack Jack and Chloe Adventure Cast along with Maxwell Haddad, and uh, in the fall, Sleepy Hollow, the uh, Ichabod Crane Cast. Yep. On the HHWOD Network. I could repeat all that, but I'm not going to. I'll just say that I write for my personal blog, thecodezeke.com, as well as at whysoblue, and you can follow me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Um, this has been Out Now with Aaron and Abe, which is available on iTunes and at HHWLD, as well as plenty of other places, Podomatic.com, SoundCloud.com, everywhere you want to find it. And, you know, follow our page out at OutNow underscore podcast one dot. If you're listening to this commentary at this point, you're probably a fan already, so there you go. Uh, but, yeah, thanks, all the listeners, for, you know, staying this long, for hearing our thoughts on Planet of the Apes and plenty of other, you know, related topics as well. Always fun to do these commentaries. And, Brandon and Jim, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Always a pleasure. For sure. And until next time, when we talk about T-U-R-T-L-E power, uh, that's going to do it. So, so long, and goodbye. <laughs>